Welcome to the Dubious Consumers Podcast for the week of April 5th. My name is Justin Hurd. My name is Nathan Steinman. Daryl. And Austrian. Man, Austrian. Every single time. It's okay. Y'all know my name. He could be He could be just Daryl. No. Just Daryl. <laughs> I mean... Uh, <laughs> oh. I mean, we already have a catchphrase from the last time. Like you do. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was as you do. No. That's what, you all kept saying like you do. Oh. I think I say yeah, as you do, but yeah. you know. I think whatever. Both, I think both of you were. So we've got two catchphrases. So we can do that are the exact, almost yeah. exactly the same thing. We can do it as as you do. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we had. We, we've just been talking for the last thirty minutes about high school and all our memories, and we couldn't talk about some mysterious catchphrase. Yeah. But now that we're on air, we're gonna hash this out. Woohoo! <laughs> as you do. Like you do. But I'm <laughs> simile, 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 simile. All right. So, Nathan, what have you been consuming? Uh, I have had uh, quite an interesting two weeks. I read uh, Bug. One second. I just realized we did not address that Dave's not here. Oh, yeah. Dave is not here, man. Big surprise. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you read right. Bug. So I read Bug by uh, Tracy Litz, the guy who wrote Killer Joe, right. which we've talked about enormously on this podcast. I haven't got to see the movie yet. Have, have you? I have not seen Bug the movie yet. Okay. But I, the funny thing is, is Michael Shannon originated the role of Peter Evans, who's uh, one of the leads in the play, also plays it in the movie. Nice. Most of you will know him as General Zod. <laughs> Or from countless other roles. Yeah, that he yeah. Just well, to I'm just saying into. recent giant blockbuster movie Where he, role. he played uh, Space Hitler? Yeah, Space Hitler. I will find him! Don't you tell me what to do! Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the story is, it takes place on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. It involves... As you do. Yeah. It's uh, the only. It's the only other of his plays other than August Osage County that takes place in Oklahoma, even though he's from Tulsa. So, but uh, the interesting thing about it is it is fucked. Is it, it more is, fucked than Killer Joe? Yes, it is way more fucked than Killer Joe. See, I didn't think Killer Joe was that fucked. Well, other than the fact that you know he's bartered for a. Uh, I can't. I don't know what it is in the play, but isn't she sixteen in the? She's she's twenty in the play. Okay. She's twenty in the brothers twenty one in the play. Okay. So they play it off like she's younger in right. the movie. Like yeah. they play that up. They never say her age. I think they cut out the age line in. Okay. The movie. They they say she's too young is what they say in the movie. So what was that again? She's too young. I didn't quite hear that. She's too young. All right. Okay, I got it. Uh, so in this. Put that on uh, it takes place entirely in a hotel room. Uh, there is a lot of freebasing of cocaine throughout the play. Like they are passing back and forth the pipe of free ba- for freebasing cocaine. Uh, this leads to uh, her friend, the friend of the main character, who is Agnes White, who is a forty-something uh, waitress. Uh, her friend R.C., who is a, a a lesbian, I'm assuming, is more of a dyke just based on the name. The the big, bullish, kind of mannish lesbian woman, I would assume. 
based on the way she's described in the play uh, as acting and uh, the way she's described in the little bit of personal description you get. But it's like one or two lines. Um, but she brings over Peter Evans, who is ex-military. And they're, uh, he stays, she leaves. Agnes and Peter just smoke a shit ton of cocaine. <laughs> And uh, the plot ensues from there when they start to see bugs around the hotel. And he begins to believe that they're infested. This transforms even deeper into the fact that he thinks the bugs are coming out of his skin. So, as you can tell, this gets really, really fucked. This is more like, it's very Cronenberg for theater. Like, super Cronenberg for theater. But more hard drugs than Cronenberg likes to do in his movies. He's not a big fan of, like, even when there's drugs, he never, they're not freebasing cocaine and (laughs) snorting cocaine and doing all sorts of other things. Uh, But it is... One of those things where you don't think of how fucked up it is until you really get to the second act. <laughs> you, you know, it's just kind of fucked up. But he, he thinks there's aphids that are uh, infesting this hotel room. But they're the only hotel room. He doesn't want to tell the the uh, the people who run the hotel or anything. I mean, it's just very, like, manipulative. Like, he's very psychologically manipulative and he's very obviously out of his fucking mind but uh the second act which i don't want to run because it is joyously fucked up enough that i'm sure if you want to watch the movie it is probably just as joyously fucked up the description of the end i really don't know how they do it in theaters all i know is that it stars ashley judd yeah yeah it's ashley judd and michael shannon Okay, so, so yeah. And Ashley Judd plays uh, Agnes. So Ashley Judd <laughs> probably smokes a lot of cocaine. Good times. Movie. Yeah. But that's uh, the first thing. I sat, I, I literally sat in the library and read that whole play all at once. <laughs> I was just like, nice. this is fucked. I have to keep reading. <laughs> um, the other thing is, was that uh, I had a, I'd watched all good things with my wife and her mother, which connects to the jinx thing. But that night, uh, I'd seen, we were kind of scrolling through movies and all the president's men, which is an old, uh, Robert Redford, Dustin Dustin Hoffman movie. I'd never seen it. Oh, and I was like, Hey, can we watch this? And they were like, okay. So I watched it and they talked. And I turned it up really loud so I could listen to all the dialogue. Oh, it's so good. Oh, man. Uh, it's an Alan J. Uh, Pakula film. Uh, you may or may not know him from directing such movies as Sophie's Choice. He also directed a small movie with Denzel Washington and Julie Roberts called The Pelican Brief. Uh, but uh, the script was by William Goldman, who uh, you know you might know for such small movies as Butch and Cassidy of Sundance Kid, uh the Princess Bride, uh, you know, he's he's written a few tiny, barely known films. You I've know. never heard of any of yeah. these. He actually won the Academy Award uh, for Best Screenplay with this one. Oh, cool. It's adapted from uh, a book 
by Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, who are the lead characters in the movie. Uh, it's very interesting because unlike a lot of movies where they cover up names, they do not cover up a single name. It is everybody's real name. Interesting. Uh, so the story, if you don't know it, is about two reporters who uncover uh, the cover-up of the Watergate break-in. If you don't know about the Watergate break-in... Then what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, uh, you need to read some history. But uh, the Watergate was a hotel uh, in Washington, D.C., where the Democratic National Convention had their headquarters. Really? Yeah. And a bunch of people who were involved with the Committee to Re-elect the President, or called CRP or Creep, uh, broke in to put in... Uh, uh, listening equipment and surveillance stuff so that they could find a way to beat George McGovern even though they beat him anyways. <laughs> uh, but the really fascinating part is like just how much you get this idea of like they had to beg, borrow, and steal to get as much information as possible just to keep the story alive. Well, and the the other thing is the way that the camera is you know, the way that it's filmed and everything, it feels almost like a documentary. Like, yeah. it's so well di- put together that yeah. you, f- you feel like you're watching. And there's lots of scenes where they use a lot of natural light that don't artificially light scenes. Like, the garage, as you can tell, that's just, they were like, the director was like, oh, dude, this this is perfect for a shadowy meeting. We don't even need to, okay, put one light over there so we can get a darker shadow over here. Uh, but it involves the fact that uh, Bob Woodward had a person who was in the FBI that we later find out uh, now 30 <clears throat> or 30 plus years later that his name was Mark Felt. He was actually the associate director of the FBI, uh, which mm. means he was literally one step down from yeah. heading the FBI. And he was ratting on the bullshit that was going on <laughs> in the Nixon White House. They incriminated the attorney general. Yep. <laughs> they incriminated the people, the G. Gordon Liddy, who was a, a lawyer working for Nixon. They involved, I mean, it's amazing. Like watching, just watching the movie, you're just like, this was, and knowing just a little bit about the history, it just shows you how completely fucked this, the whole Nixon administration just really was. And I remember asking a friend of mine who, <clears throat> lived through the whole Nixon Watergate thing and he was and I go so which was worse Nixon or Bush and he was like Bush and I was like wow <laughs> wow uh, <laughs> that, tell, that tells you the type of nepotism and bullshit that goes on but uh, the movie just deals with during uh, goes up into the actual inauguration of Richard Nixon like that's the last shot and then there's this yeah. teletype that they've used throughout the movies, which if you don't know what a teletype is, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a history podcast. Yeah. It can be. Uh, no, but, that's that's the one for next week. But the teletype Sweet. prints the uh, different information. It's what they use to write the newspaper, basically. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Look it up, but let me tell you exactly what it is. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> going into any more detail than that. But the very the last the last shots of the movie are a montage of all the different people getting in, indicted and the sentences that they got. So instead of just putting text on the actual screen, they used a motif they'd been using throughout the entire movie yeah. to impart information, like they'd imparted it through the whole movie. I know, nice. intelligent filmmaking. Oh God. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> 70s filmmaking oh no 
Well, the, one of the things that I do find interesting, I know how much Daryl hates superhero movies. I do. By um, Captain America 2, Winter Soldier, was yeah. um, much better than influenced by... Oh, yeah, yeah. It should and, have been. And having Robert Redford... That is true. Uh, ...play the opposite role. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, that which is... Him being the kind of attorney general character, you know, who is completely corrupt and... So, so speaking on a... Uh, about that kind of idea... Um, one of the podcasts I listen to, the guy on there is trying to kickstart a movie about George Lucas without naming that it's George Lucas. And he's trying to figure out which of two storylines he wants to tell. One would be like a wacky comedy about this guy, you know, releasing this. Accidentally becoming a billionaire? Well, it would be him basically being, you know, at the top of his game and then time traveling to the future with the prequels about to come out and him trying to <laughs> figure out what writing is. Yeah, figure out what 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 happened oh and how, what, where he is at in Jar the system. Jar Jar, he's the key to all of this. That. The other one would be an actual like very much like um, the Aviator, Citizen Kane, like like Citizen <laughs> Kane, that would where be awesome. it's a, a drama about how this man goes from hating the corporate system to becoming the corporate to system. becoming the the wealthiest yeah. strongest man in film and then selling his baby essentially to you know the biggest corporation that there is did you know that they actually took the first draft of Star Wars and turned it into a graphic novel yeah yeah it's awful I, I couldn't even finish. Well, it. isn't Han Solo like a lizard man? I don't. Even, I, not, I, I, don't I, even I have the first. Few like, yeah, Mace they're all, they're all Mace, drastically Mace Windu different. is a white guy. Oh, of course. You know, <laughs> in the original version. Uh, but the interesting thing about all the presidents men is, if you've ever watched the documentary Gonzo by about Hunter S. Thompson, yeah, it talks about Thompson being on the McGovern campaign, following it, being a part of the press tour, and he wrote a book called Fear and Loathing in the Campaign Trail which talks about being on that. This is the exact time frame. And he's on oh, cool. McGovern's side. Yeah. And so it's like this weird connection. Like you hear this, oh, they're talking about Muskie. Oh, they're talking about this. Oh, they're talking about this. Oh, the, And I'm just like, it would be I, I, one a project that I want to do is I want to read uh, All the President's Men, uh, uh, Fear and Loathing on the Camping Trail, and The Boys on the Bus, which is the other guy who yeah. was also on in the press junket for the re-election and read all three books and just see how completely fucked this, <laughs> you know, as a, like as a document, a like that is. I mean, that's amazing right. that we have those documents that we can look back and go, God damn, I, I can't think of anybody right now who has put out a book that's uh, that's really, you know, bit into the the corporate you know, take over of a lot of. Oh, I'm sure plenty stuff. of people have. Just well, yeah, but not, it's just you know, not conspiracy nuts or right wing fascists, you know, <laughs> or leftist dumbasses, <laughs> you know, all of them, you know. Potato. You know, I'll admit I'm a I'm a very left wing person and a very liberal person, but what the fuck, really? We're all what? capable of being morons. <laughs> so. I don't know about you. I'm a giant eagle. I've got a left wing and a right wing. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I, I, I do prescribe to the fact that there are things I'm conservative about. And I don't have a problem with that, but you know, whatever. So I, I do have to ask real quick because it was on the Dubious Consumers um, Facebook page. Did you right. see the stoner? 
I read about half of them. I have not finished. Did you read the Fear and Loathing one? Uh, no, I didn't make it to that one. Oh. Because I was I was laughing too hard through the Up and Smoke one, remembering what it was like <laughs> to watch Up and Smoke being like 15. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I have to read this because it is so good. Strange memories on a nervous night in the forums. The internet in the mid-2000s was a very special time and place to be a part of. It meant something. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. In the long run, no mumble of punchlines or setups can communicate the deeper truth of knowing you were there and alive in that corner of time. We babbled on a cruel infancy, feeding on a gif of a dancing baby and a JPEG of a man holding his own butthole open. There was a sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil, not in any meaner military sense. Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting on our side or theirs. We had all the momentum. We were the ones who knew the rules because we'd written them down. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. Now there's madness in any direction. The prickly madness of habit. If not on your RSS feed, then up on Twitter or down the Tumblr hashtags. You can, <laughs> <laughs> you can strike sparks on your Facebook page. Sparks that burn for hours but never catch any fire. So now, only a decade later, you can go to the front page of Reddit and look back. And with the right kind of eyes, almost see the high watermark. <laughs> <laughs> the place where the wave finally broke and the crashing surf settled into a stinking black pond. Wow. Speaking of one of my favorite monologues from our previous monologue. Oh, yeah. And that's um, that's part of his going through Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is him losing his password to Twitter while watching it sober. And then um, <laughs> when my he's... My whole thing is like, why the fuck are you looking at your phone, stoned or sober, watching fucking Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Well, he, he said he, he purposely, purposefully lost it. And then his um, being stoned thing is what? Was I talking? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so it's so awesome. <laughs> nice. Lots of uh, great hunterisms in that. Oh, so. yeah, definitely. So what was your third thing? Uh, the third thing is I read a graphic novel by the cartoonist named Seth called It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken. It's a, it's a very interesting... It's a phrase that his mother would say to him <laughs> as a kid. Okay. It has absolutely nothing to do with the actual... Nice. Plot. Always fun. Yeah. Just a nice quote. That's a nice title that makes people go, what's that about? Um, The interesting thing is uh, it's this weird mix of fictional, like autobiographical fiction and documentary. He discovers in an old New Yorker a cartoonist named Kalo or Kahlo. I don't know. It's never, you know. How it's pronounced. I think it's Callaway. So so Callow would probably be what it was. 120 was days Callaway. of Callow? No. No, no. <laughs> no Sodom for you, buddy. Uh, but uh, Seth's a, been a, mostly a gag cartoonist and covers for the New Yorker and New York Times and all sorts of stuff. But this is him researching, trying to find out who this person was, who's just this obscure cartoonist from the from the 40s and 50s. Uh, there's conversations between him and Chester Brown, who's another cartoon uh, Canadian cartoonist. Uh, there's a relationship that develops that falls apart during the course of him writing this um, memoir, graphic novella. Uh, but he ends up traveling to this town that he grew up in that he found out that the guy Kalo lived in for a while so there's this weird synchronicity to it uh the interesting thing about it is there's some really complex storytelling techniques 
where you get juxtaposition between the text that he's where he's reminiscing about something uh, juxtaposed with things like he's on a train ride so you get these different shots of in the train outside of the train different uh, landscape and you know with this voiceover that doesn't connect at all to it so there's this strange kind of dichotomy uh, juxtaposed storytelling um, and then uh, he to show the passage of time there's like an eight page silent sequence that doesn't show any of the main characters that just shows like different days weather patterns different things different events all taking place before leading up to a fireworks uh, display that he and Chester Brown are watching it's amazing like and it's it's a it's a graphic novel and it reads like a short film <laughs> like the way that it moves and the way that it tells the story. Uh, he said that he made sure that he didn't want to just tell the story. He wanted to add and breathe and do whatever it needed to tell this like poetic interpretation of it, not just here's the facts, here's the story, done, boom, out of the way. <laughs> um, one interesting thing is Seth is kind of obsessed with the past, as you can tell trying to find out about an obscure cartoonist from the 40s. Right. Uh, but in the course of the novel, he chastises himself about his own obsession with nostalgia and his own obsession with, like, looking back and seeing the past in this, like, kind of rose-colored glasses. And, like, his girlfriend even goes, what about women's rights? What about, you know, what about equal rights? What about, you know, uh, you know, end of segregation in America? What about all those things? And he just kind of goes... Well, things are things are just getting worse. He just kind of he just kind of admits the fact that he has this weird obsession with the fact that he just thinks things are getting worse. He always dresses in a three piece suit, like he's out of a '30s movie. <laughs> you know, he's the, he's just a character, um, but he has this very uh, clean line style. That but it's very influ- you can tell Charles Schultz was just a huge influence on his drawing style overall that just the cartoony peanuts kind of style you can tell that just super influenced everything he did but that's what i've been consuming uh daryl is it your turn i guess i suppose everybody's staring at me now (laughs) it's just because you're so sexy Uh, let me figure out what uh i watched wolf cop yesterday you said you weren't going to i said i wasn't going to but then i did you're a liar so what is and a brigand Uh, it was a movie made in 2014, I believe. Supposedly there's a sequel. It said there would be this year, but I hope to God there's not a sequel to it. Oh, so is that good? Uh, well, I kind of liked it at first, (laughs) but the guy who plays the wolf cop is really fucking awful. I mean, all of his lines are more like, yeah, okay. And they're really awkward. It's like everybody else seems like they're really trying to be characters in this movie and he's just there. And then the wolf cop, he kind of looks like Beast okay, from, ex- yeah. from like... Uh, well, yeah, yeah. From which well, X-Men? Yeah, yeah no, no, no. The, uh, the Kelsey Grammer? The, the, the new version? ones. The new ones. Okay. The, Where the, he's fluffy? Yeah, he's real fluffy. But he's not real blue, but he's blackish, but kind of with a blue hint. I don't know. He looked like fucking Beast in a cop outfit. It was really fucking awful. And the makeup's terrible. And... He has sex with an old lady as the wolf cop, but the old lady is a shapeshifter, so she turned into a young lady. And then, like, the whole thing at the end of the movie is, I'm mad because I had sex with a 200-year-old woman. Wow. 
What a plot yeah, point. I was going to say, I mean... I, I mean, part, parts of it are a lot of fun. They dude up his police car and or his sheriff's car, whatever, and it's got a big W on it. It's all spray-painted black. The doors are ripped off, and it's just completely fucked, and he has a guy that drunkenly rides around with him. He's like, yeah, beat up those meth people. Oh, you're killing them. Oh, no, the place is on fire. The place <laughs> is going to explode. We better leave. Wolf cop. So uh, it's so it's everything I ever dreamed of. Yeah, and you can do your uh, little applause multiple times because they say Wolf Cop plenty of times. So do they? Do they have like a theme song like Sergeant Kabuki Band? Uh, uh, no, no, not that <laughs> good. It. I uh, they should. It. <laughs> it's they have get, failed. <laughs> they didn't even make the good B movie decision. But it's like, okay, so what did this uh, vigilante look like? And the lady police officer, she's like. I don't know. You tell him exactly what you told me and the witness, the guy that owns the shop, because he's a vigilante wolf cop. Like, he becomes a werewolf and decides that he's going to fight crime. It's great. Was he <laughs> a cop sense. beforehand? And that the uh, the liquor store owner just yells, he's a, f- looks like a fucking wolf cop. And goes back to immediate, like, just jump cut to him just standing there like he didn't just yell something. And it it's terrible. And it gets worse <laughs> as you watch it. It's like they started off really strong, and it kind of really seems like they shot it all in order just because like, it does start off really strong and then just gets worse and worse and worse. And every scene is way worse than the scene before. It, it It's kind of amazing how bad it is. And then at the end, it's just like, ah, oh, we don't care. They're, they're shapeshifters, so it was one dude's face. We'll just flash a color on there, and it's some other dude now. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, super amazing. Wolf Cop. Okay. That sounds uh, <laughs> equal parts completely terrible and not nearly as interesting as it should be if it's going to be yeah. that bad. <laughs> See, that, that 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 was really eating at me because I didn't want to watch it, but it sounds awesome. Well, I mean, part of the I think part of the thing that got you to not watch it while we were hanging out was, um, or may have ultimately convinced you to watch it, was <laughs> him... In full wolf, wolf form, laying out, you know, yeah, lounge, yeah, yeah. lounging out. He's got his playgirl spread <laughs> as as the wolf. Wow, like they did with the the Deadpool. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. It's that exact same pose. <laughs> wow, except it's just like a tan, shitty like background. That, that kind of got me to watch it more. It was just like because like the cover for it on Netflix is like, "Rawr, I'm a fucking wolf cop," and then, and then there's the, that the image of him laying there that... just posing. <laughs> Wow, it, and so I'm like, eh, that uh, I'll watch it. I, I like stupid shit. That that. So speaking of bad Netflix yeah. covers, I was just like looking through. They redesigned the awesome Hunt for Red October cover poster oh, yeah? to be the shittiest, like eight, like normal crappy poster of everybody's faces. Oh, and I was like, that's terrible. I was like, why? Did, but clear and present danger, same. Patriot Games, same. same. Don't know why. Whoever was whoever did the poster said, "You don't have the rights to my poster." <laughs> I guess, Weird. but I, 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 I hate the the face posters so, so much. But yeah, I, uh, what was I gonna say about it? Oh yeah, yeah. He does fight as a wolf, and he also has a gun, which is the new thing because right? he's a wolf cop, <laughs> and he randomly needs to shoot people also. So does he slash, 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 bite, the and then somebody's about to get the upper hand on him? Nope, I got a gun, fucker. <laughs> Bang, you're dead. <laughs> it was kind of terrible. 
No, I take that back. It was really terrible. It was kind of <laughs> kind of awesome, just as an idea. Now, did it pass from the uh, terrible into the sublime beauty of terrible? No. See, I I, I have a problem with movies that are trying to be bad. This one kind of seemed like it was trying to dive into oh. that a little bit, and that kind of pisses me off. But it did have a little bit of the uh, we don't have much money kind of charm, so we're going to try to make this as good as possible where we can when it counts. Okay. So it, it does kind of have a little bit of that. It's not as bad as, like, you know, fucking Sharknado bullshit where yeah, we're I, trying I, to make a really shitty movie because people like shitty movies, and so yeah. it's shitty on purpose. I, I've refused to watch the Sharknado yeah. movies. Yeah, I, I feel like they did legitimately try to make this yeah. a fun, good movie. And like I said, as it begins, it's when you're not just a kind psych- of good. When you're not just a psychotic person who has somehow got funding for a movie <laughs> and it just says awful... Yeah. And it's so awful, you're like, this is entertaining because it's so bad that the, that's one of those moments of like, they were uh, all of the room. Be, they're like, we don't have enough money, so let's try to be awful. Yeah. It's frustrating. So, yeah, it's all Wolf Cop. Uh, see, Wolf I also Cop. saw uh, Fast and Furious 7 or whatever the title oh. for it is. The Furious 7. Seven. Furious 7. Is- I think it's just Furious because it was Fast 5, Fast and Furious is it 6. Furious 7. Furious 7. Oh, well, see, that sounds way cooler than the, the names. They're getting better at naming these. Yeah, off seven of, like, movies. <laughs> fast and Furious. <sighs> so, yeah. does well, to, to be fair, number two was called Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah, and the song is catchy as fuck. I've never watched oh, two. It's awful. I just I've never seen tr- any of them. Like, really? I've not seen a single you should one. sit down and watch all of them in a row. <laughs> well, the, 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 here's the weird thing about them, is that each movie builds on the backstory and mythos of the other movies. It's kind of like Saw, but not as good. <laughs> um, wow. Because the first the first one is just okay. I mean, it's it's a fun action movie. It's exactly what it looks like. The second one I haven't seen. The third one I haven't seen, but it takes place in Tokyo, and the, one of the characters... Um, okay, in okay. Seven, so right? The second one is really awful and just... Kind of out of nowhere. And then the third one has nothing to do with anything from the first two movies. It's but, just but, a really redneck dude in Japan, and it's all about drifting. And Han is in that one, and he's the best part of that movie. Tokyo Drift is amazing just because of Han. It, it's it's terrible, but Han is awesome. And then at the end of it, he dies. Sad face. And then well. we get to the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh movie, and Han is alive. Doesn't he, doesn't he die? At, well, doesn't well, he catch up at the end of the sixth movie? At the movie? end of the sixth one, he catches up. But in the seventh movie, they haven't gotten to that point. So part of, <laughs> part of the beginning of the seventh movie takes place before the sixth movie ends, technically. So 300, Rise of an Empire? It, it's really not that complicated. It just kind of happens. And it's really easy to get into. It, it, it's well, I think it was to cram as many cameos as possible. Well, yeah. the, 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 since Paul Walker's dead, they're probably not going to make another one. Well, they, they, they will. I was just going to say, the thing about 4 through 6 is that they do a lot of stuff to wink and nod to the fact that Han is going to die. Yeah. And that he's going to go to Tokyo and end up dying. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it suddenly makes the stuff that happens in like it, in three all the more entertaining but then also adds to the stuff that happens in one or two with all the stuff that they keep adding in four five it, and, six. It, and it's nice because it seems like they made four and it's like okay well we're, we got to kill Han off at some point it's like no we can have him around for another movie so they made a fifth one <laughs> they're like well we don't want to kill Han off Han is awesome so they made a sixth movie it's like okay we gotta we, we gotta kill him off because everybody's getting a little old for this 
and or dead for this. And you know, just a little bit made that decision at the right point, I think. But okay, the weird thing about Fast and Furious or Furious Seven. <laughs> I think he just had an aneurysm. <laughs> he was like, he's like, God, I don't want to just say Furious. Ever. Okay, so you start watching the movie. You go into this movie. You know Paul Walker is dead, and throughout the whole movie, he seems like a weird ghost just hanging well, around the, the group. The, he's in a lot of the movie. Well, the but, weird thing, the thing is, like the poster mm-hmm. is Dom looking. Sad and looking down. It's so sad that you know their names. I don't even know their names, and I just—I I actually don't even know Paul Walker's name. I just know Vin Diesel's character's name. <laughs> so Vin Diesel is on the poster, looking down and very sad in the foreground, and in the background is Paul Walker standing there, back straight, all dignified. Right. Yeah. And then it's like um, one final ride or something like that is the tagline. And you're like, thanks for reminding me. He's dead yet again. <laughs> it, it, it's a weird reminder throughout the whole movie, like. After the like first scene with Paul Walker, the first th- the first thing they go to after that is a fucking funeral. And everybody's just standing around. Paul Walker's just standing there, looking all pretty. And there's tons of weird cutaways of Paul Walker just standing there, looking at people and just so they nodding his head. Use every possible footage. It's like they just shot a ton of scenes, and like all of his major parts were cut out and replaced with Vin Diesel doing his part. But like, okay, so at the funeral, like they're standing around. Because they're at Han's funeral because they brought him back from Japan to bury him in the U.S. or some shit. I don't know. Because Jason Statham's the transporter and he's trying to kill them or something. No, he's not, the not cranker. He, I was going to say, he's not the transporter He's not the anymore. cranker or the transporter, whatever. It just he's both Not anymore. He's Jason Statham. He plays himself in movies. He, just, he does. Which is fine. I'm cool with that. Jason Statham's fine. But they're standing around at the funeral and like Tyrese is like, man, I'm tired of funerals. Oh. <laughs> and it's just like Paul Walker's just stand there and it's like, oh my god, this, this is weird. This is, this is awkward. And well, it's like that through the whole movie. Well, I mean, um it was kinda of, it was the same thing with um I mean, both of the um Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises both had moments like that yeah. since Heath Ledger was dead and there's a point where the Joker pretends that he's dead and so we get to see Heath Ledger lying, you know, on a slab yeah. dead and we're like Oh, that just brought down the room, and then you know, Joker shenanigans ensue. I, I, I really didn't have that problem. With I, that. I, I, to, I totally I had that. It was in my mind the entire time. And then the Dark, dark Knight Rises. It was just after the shooting, and then yeah. we have the big shooting in the movie yeah. um, with the stock exchange. And it's just like uh, now. No, I will say that watching the Imaginarium, Doctor Parnassus, that really like I'm like noticeable. Yeah, well, it's you feel it more than yeah. like See, because of how they had to rewrite the movie to get Colin yeah. Farrell and Johnny Depp and whoever the third person was to Jude Law. Jude Law to reshoot all <clears throat> Well, and, and to I, shoot all the scenes they didn't shoot and reshoot a few scenes to make the transitions make yeah. sense. But like you felt it watching the Imaginary yeah. of Dark Knight. And Parnassus. and I didn't feel that at all with the Dark Knight yeah. okay. or the Dark Knight rights. Right? So I did, it the Dark Knight was good enough that it wasn't even an issue. Well, it, it wiped away like right after that, but just for that moment was just like maybe uh, okay. Now watching yeah, the movie he where he plays a heroin and, addict, yeah, that movie's hard to watch after he's fucking dead. <laughs> Holy Whoops. shit! Yeah, and uh, the Dark Knight Rises was terrible. I didn't even think about in the shooting. I, but Furious yeah. Seven, by the yeah. Way. So yeah, the whole movie is like that though. It's just like hey, there's Paul Walker. He's just standing there. He's like hey. <laughs> hey, it, I'm Paul Walker. It's weird. It, it it seems like they they replaced all of his like major like scenes with Vin Diesel doing those parts to make it work, which is understandable. I get it. Kurt Russell has 
a brief part in it. He, he's in a lot of the movie, but it's just kind of token. And he even winks at the camera. It's wonderful. Wow. Yeah, it's great. And then at the end, it gets really fucking weird. There's a scene with Paul Walker going to leave. Like he he leaves the group and goes over to hang out with his wife and kid, and she's pregnant. And the whole it cuts back to the group just sitting there watching him play with the kid and the wife on the beach. And they start talking about how oh, he's God. not going to be with us anymore. And like, you know, hey, oh. go say goodbye. I thought it was and like weird Vin Diesel you... like gets up and he goes over and he's like, no, I'm not saying goodbye or whatever the fuck he's. It's something along the lines of that. And it's like, okay, you've got this scene of them playing and then this very depressed fucking group sitting over here in the sand. And it's just they keep cutting from one to the other. And it's really fucking weird because I thought it was weird in like the trailer. Uh-huh. They make it seem like. When the, the, the house that, explodes, the, mm-hmm. Paul, that's when Paul Walker's character dies. No, that's, in the, that's the beginning of the movie. Well, but like that's they make it seem like in well, the, the trailer. They, they, they yeah. also put various stuff in the trailer, like him, you know, in the car where it goes over the edge of the cliff. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, this is where Paul Walker's gonna. I, okay, no, no. no. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of moments like that that are wow. a lot of fun. It, I, I mean, I I like the movies just because they're fun. But, Which is fine. Guilty ple- guilty pleasures are guilty pleasures, it, right? I, I'm not into cars. I, I don't give yeah. a shit about any of that culture. It, they're fun, stupid mo- action yeah. racing movies. Borderline twisted metal. I can't wait for them to get into that territory. And then finally, <laughs> you know, whenever they, 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 they win the twisted metal tournament, they get their one wish, and somebody wishes for the cars to be alive because it's Tyrese and he's fucking stupid, and it turns into fucking maximum overdrive. So it's twisted furious, and then... Overdrive faster. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yes, that, that twistedly makes sense. furious and overdrive faster. Overdrive faster. <laughs> that 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 there there you go, Hollywood. Eight nine. We already titled them for you. Write the scripts. I already know you write scripts around posters. I'd watch them. So. I mean, you get to watch the Rock fight a predator drone. Yeah. Doesn't he like? Don't him and Jason Statham have a? Yeah, they have a big fight at the very beginning, and then the Rock shows up at the end again. He he's in like. Three scenes of the movie. Uh, speaking speaking of the Rock, yeah. Uh, did you see the Bambi? Uh, no, no, skin? no. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's worth it. Uh, okay, it's, I'll, it's a, I'll have to check. Like that out. everyone freaked out about it, and I was like, "Oh, okay, whatever." And then I was like, "I'll I'll watch it a couple days later." And then I was like, "This is actually funny." Yeah. Like I can't believe like they do a good enough job. Where they have different SNL actors, like one's Tyrese and mm-hmm. one's Vin Diesel, and the Vin Diesel guy so mumbles everything he says, so nobody has any idea. He, he, he <laughs> they're has, all playing different characters from yeah. Bambi, so it's like nice. Tyrese is the skunk and Vin Diesel's Thumper. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that yeah, out. That's worth it. Uh, but yeah, so after the weird, awkward beach scene and them saying goodbye to Paul Walker by not talking to Paul Walker, <laughs> because obviously he's dead at that point and they can't yeah. shoot them going up and saying, oh man, we're so sad you're not going to join us on stupid fucking adventures where we get shot at because yeah. we're race car drivers and you're an FBI agent. And okay, yeah, after that, there's one scene with Vin Diesel driving his car and talking about, you know, like goodbyes and family and friends and that kind of thing. Very much referencing Paul Walker being fucking deceased. Wow. And then Paul Walker pulls up next to him and spouts out some nonsense to him. And you see him from behind and it's very much not Paul Walker. 
and you see it from Vin Diesel's perspective then, and it's just Paul Walker grinning at the camera again. Wow. And it's really weird. So there's this weird meta narrative of yeah. Paul Walker is dead. We memorialize. And they continue Paul. to ride on, and like Paul Walker's riding in this nice white fucking car, and Vin Diesel's in his fucking car, and they're wow. riding along with each other, not, not like, like they're keeping pace. And then he's talking about whatever them drifting apart with how friends and family, and you know, even though you're not with each other, you're still with each other, and then they drive off in separate directions. Wow. <laughs> We're symbolizing death. <laughs> symbolism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Paul Walker's dead symbolism. Yeah. Earn that paycheck. Yeah. So, it, it, it's a Fast and Furious movie. Uh, whatever. It's stupid fun, I guess. Was it everything you ever dreamed of? Um, no. No. Did you feel, not. Did you feel Rick rolled? Or um, I just say walk around. I thought it was a joke at the beginning because, like, after the funeral scene, like, I couldn't stop laughing. It was <laughs> it was weird. Okay, so yeah, and then my third thing, since Justin wanted me to bring it up, uh, House. Nineteen seventy seven. Nineteen seventy seven House. I, I honestly do not know what to say to, about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, why, don't, why don't you describe the movie, Justin? Um, well, how do you describe it's an indescribable horror movie? It's a horror movie. Well, that I uh, I, I don't think it was. <laughs> well, they they classify it as a horror movie. It's a 1977 movie about a um, a bunch of Japanese schoolgirls going to stay with their aunt. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and the aunt is a. Uh, I don't know that she's a. She's not a ghost. She's, I don't know. She's dead, I guess. She, I she is a shape-shifting cat thing that... Yeah, she uh, thrives off the souls of young girls. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Dead soul thriving. Um, so once you get past like the first 30 minutes of the movie, the movie starts. Yeah, because like, the first 30 minutes are weird like sitcom happy-go-lucky girl melodrama yeah. thing. Oh, where you've got a crush on the teacher. <laughs> Maybe he'll come join us. That, <laughs> that's entertaining. <laughs> or, you know, meet this woman. I she like is your new mother. That, the Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was doing the Mickey Mouse laugh. Um, come meet this oh. woman. She will be your new mother. Wow. I'm going to run away. And so, so is it like the beginning of the French Connection where you're like, what the fuck is going on? No, no, oh, see, okay. it's worse than that because we hadn't gotten to what's yeah. really going on there. Wow. At one point, a person falls on a bucket and then spins around in circles and a car comes and he is, he actually, the bucket moves around the car and back to where he was to keep continuing to have him spin. Wow. I totally forgot about that. It was amazing. And so I don't, he, he, I don't know how to even think about like how did they pull the <laughs> shot off? Well, it, stop it, it, motion. It, it's oh, it's stop okay. motion. They took a frame, took a frame, and okay. you know he hits the bucket. The bucket starts moving around past the car, and okay. like so at every point they can make a decision in this. We're like, hey, we need a random decision made. They okay, made so this random one. decision made, then we do this weird. Uh, yeah, the stop motion thing with a bucket, just like yeah, and then and then the next frame, he's standing up, has a bucket still stuck on his ass, going, "Well, I can't make it to the house, or I can't make it to the you know train. I got to go to the emergency room, but I'll be up in a couple of days." Wow! <laughs> it's like, all right, we wrote two lines of screenplay here. 
<laughs> Random decision. <laughs> and we need dialogue. Suddenly, they're now doing the blue screen bullshit, and the atomic bomb is behind them. So is this a movie that someone like found the script for in a different language and tried to translate it? No. no. <laughs> wow. No, he um, consulted his daughter, who's like six, and asked her what she thought would be scary. And, and so she was like, hey, you know, this one time a mattress almost fell on me and that was scary. So wouldn't it be really scary if like a bunch of mattresses fell on you and uh, suffocated you to death? But instead it turned you into a um, doll. Yeah. Or, you know, you, 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 you look in the mirror and your reflection moves against you. You know, it moves. And then tries to attack you, which we've seen plenty of times. Yeah. That's, right, but that's, not, not quite like this. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so when was this movie made? 77. So it was 1977? Yeah. Yes. I didn't know if that was like the subtitle. House, 1977. No, it's a house parentheses 1977 because there are like yeah. four other house movies and a house TV series and yeah. Well, that's House MD. Oh well, no one ever calls a house MD. But uh, the movie's amazing though because you're following the six girls. Seven, seven. I thought the seventh one was the ant. Whatever. No, uh, no, no. Because it's gorgeous. Mac Kung Fu. Kung, yeah. um, learned professor. Yeah, pro- well, uh, professor. Prof, yeah, prof, professor. Yeah, professor. Prof. Yeah. Yeah. They have um, names. That, they're basically the fucking Power Rangers, and they don't y- fight anything. Yeah. It's 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 all archetype. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. It, it's all archetype stuff. Uh, Melody. She plays the piano. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was Ma- original. Ma- no, Mac is named because she, eats, she a lot, eats a lot. So stomach. Stomach. Mac. Yeah. Gorgeous. She's the really pretty one. Then there's fantasy. <laughs> Um, because fantasy is the one who daydreams a lot. Yeah. <laughs> kung fu. She's a Japanese woman that knows kung fu. Okay, I'm trying to remember who the other two are. I see, uh, yeah, oh, I, you I haven't said prof them. yet. Yeah, prof. prof she's smart. She's, she's yeah. the professor from Gilligan's Island. Uh-huh. Okay, so there's one more. I'm trying to remember who it was. Yeah, I can't remember. But anyway, they all show up at the the house as each each are. An, are are an archetype and like they get a watermelon and decide to um to chill the watermelon but, 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 oh oh no the fridge doesn't work you can't put it in there so we they gotta go put it in the well in the well oh and so mac disappears at this point because she's gonna go get the watermelon but she disappears wow oh, so man. and then kung fu goes to get the uh, watermelon out of out of the well and she is it, no, it's not kung fu. Um, it's fantasy. It's fan- fantasy. Yeah, fa- fantasy. So she's fantasy the one that goes, all the bad shit happens to. Yeah, and she she goes and pulls the watermelon they, out of the well. And instead of a watermelon, it's a head. It's Max head. Wow. She apparently was decapitated, or but, as Michael Clark Duncan would put it, decapitated. <laughs> and starts starts talking, and not then really the head God, starts but, flying. You know, head flies around and. Bites her on the ass. And then throws up. And then vomits blood. And then goes back into the well. I feel like this should be like the ultimate comedy. It's amazingly it, funny. It is. It is pretty awesome. <laughs> so this is the opposite of Wolf Cop where it's transcendently bad, where it's so bad. It's well, hilarious. It, it's one of those movies where you're just sitting there going, what the fuck you're, is this movie? You will be genuinely mystified by the movie because you're just like, why is this happening? Because why Why wouldn't it happen? Yeah, sure. That makes total sense. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, she turned well, into a uh, doll. That's why all her clothes are on the ground. Oh, that that's the other one. That's sweets or what? Yeah, sweet sweetie or whatever Sweet, her name is. Yeah, something like wow, that. Wow, sweets. Yeah, she likes sweets. 
Get of it? course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, then um, Melody plays the like piano. well, well, when Melody's playing the piano, the skeleton in the back of the room starts just dancing. starts dancing and floating around behind her. And this is like not like a person skeleton. This is like a fake plastic skeleton. Wow, that's about but like just you starts, know toddler sized. Starts dancing and it's hilarious. Oh, it's and so good. This, and then the piano eats her. Yeah, the piano eats her, and it which actually is one of the few actually disturbing moments in there because because <laughs> yes, like it her legs are like flailing out of the front of it, but then you see her body inside, and there's actually the, like the piano wires are infused into her fingers as she's trying yeah, to it, pull it back. Like the piano bites off her fingers first. This doesn't happen like quickly. This is this is a couple minutes going into <laughs> oh, her being God. eaten by a piano, and it's amazing. Yeah, but as okay, I said, it sounds like I just need to fast forward to this moment and go. No, you need no. You need, oh, to, watch you need to watch the whole, the whole fucking thing because it is, it is so insane funny. and awesome. Kung Fu is the best person yes, in the Kung entire. Yes, Kung Fu kicks so much ass. She, she does. Well, my amazing. favorite thing is the first time she gets attacked, she gets pe- attacked by random wood planks, <laughs> kicks the shit out of them, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then she stops and says, "Well, I must have imagined that." <laughs> It is, this oh. is sounding like original House on Haunted Hill to the awesomest yes, extreme of very, that. Very much that, yes. At just at every point they could make a decision, they just rolled the dice and said, "Okay, we're doing this now." Right? Yeah. It, it's like the John Cage of bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like let's and, just roll, throw the coins. Okay, that's the decision we're making. Throw the coins again. That's the decision we're making. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Of course, I do have to say, after watching this movie, Daryl and I watched the special features. Totally like, worth it. Totally worth it because it goes into like production design, him like writing the script and them going, we love it, but you don't work for us and so we're not going to make this. Wow. And no director wants to make this. They want to make their own films. And you know what his idea was? What? I want to make Jaws. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> But you that can't make Jaws. Yeah, you can't make Jaws for Japanese people. So, what would be really scary? Mattresses. <laughs> Deathbed. The bed that eats people. No, yeah. no, it doesn't eat no, people. Yeah. It just falls no, no, no. on them. I was just, I was just. But um, the and, and, and then there's a cat. The cat's important. Super important. And the cat has the force. You said cat and cloud just walked into the room. It, it Actually, just, just like, like cloud. cloud. That's the freakiest <laughs> fucking thing is that there was a time where the cat jumped out of a picture and cloud had oh, been sitting. Cloud had been sitting on the futon, and cloud was gone, and the cat jumped <laughs> and, and through the, the thing. There's cat imagery throughout the entire movie too. But the cat has the force, of course. It like also has do. sparkling green or, eyes, as you do. And there's a man that's afraid of bananas. Wow. This movie sounds so epically <laughs> terrible. Oh no, it's epically good. It, I wouldn't even say it's terrible. Like it's legitimately good. It's like a really weird movie, obviously. But so once it, they get to the house, like everything makes sense in its own twisted fucked up logic. Yeah. Okay. So it's one of those movies that follows its rules too well or so well that even though it's technically a bad movie it's a good movie you keep saying it's a bad movie it's, it's not. not a bad movie i i was not everything you're describing to me sounds like a, a bad b movie. it's just never been served to you in this way okay <laughs> yeah yeah because everything you've ever you're just like because everything all the imagery now i will say the piano wires thing that sounds like a real horror movie moment like that sounds like, a, but it's like but it's in the middle of a bunch of goofy ass shit so yeah it's yeah. happening but like everything else time. you're describing to me is like this is like cheesy shitty like even the worst 
like trauma asylum films like this is like the level they're yeah. starting at like the worst and then they're like well let's just add this little detail to make it interesting like that's that's why i keep saying this is a bad movie is <laughs> because what you're describing to me is like the plot at, <laughs> of a fucking asylum film mixed with a trauma movie that had an abortion and this was the movie <laughs> You might be right. <laughs> you might be, but the movie's not bad at okay, all. Okay, I'll quit calling it a bad movie. Yeah. Well, depending on how quickly we wrap this up, you have no wife here. You could be subject subjected to house. No, it, it won't happen. I have, I have to go meet my wife. Too bad. Your wife doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, she Only does. house. <laughs> yes, the cat Only took her. House. The cat took her. <laughs> she is the cat. Yeah. That cat, that cat loves my wife. Cloud loves my wife. That's why... So those are my three things. All right. So, so Justin. um, this th- this was a little bit weird. Um, last week I decided to listen or to listen to slash read the Black Dahlia and watch the movie. The yeah. who who wrote it? Uh, James Elroy. I I couldn't remember if it was an Elroy or not. Yep. Yes. Um, at the same Writer time, Elroy Confidential. Yes, yes, sir. Um, at the same time, Daryl. Also decided to try to read Black Confi- <laughs> Black, or Black, um, Black Dahlia. Black I was Dahlia. looking at my bookshelf and I saw Black Dahlia sitting there. I was like, I don't remember reading that. <laughs> I know I I knew I had it, but I do not recall ever reading it. So I was like, okay, I'll read it. And I read the first several chapters, and I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna watch the movie. I want to watch the movie now. Whereas I mainly That's a Brian De Palma, right? Yes, a it is. Um. Whereas I read the main line of the book, finished it, listened to James Elroy's um, essay about how great the um, how great the movie was, and then watched the movie uh, in the same time frame without us talking about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, what's funny is like James Elroy, uh, like that happened when he was a kid, and he was obsessed with it like his whole life. I. What it was actually. Um, his mother died. Yeah, his and he mother trained. was yeah. killed by a serial killer. Or was was killed by somebody they don't somebody, know who. Yeah. Yeah. And he ended up unable to grieve for her, transferred on to Elizabeth Shore and became obsessed with um I, I don't know the whole thing. I just knew yeah. that I just knew it happened when he was a kid. Yeah. And that he's written like even when he's writing other things. There's versions of the Black Dahlia yeah. murder that happened. Well, and the, the, the it, it happened to his mother. Wow, <laughs> yeah, more or less. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, he basically just took it. Yeah. And there, there's a great thing on YouTube called um, James Elroy's um, Feast of Death, yep. and it's him going through actually the case of his mother's and also with uh, Elizabeth Short and talking to people at this dinner, like with police detectives and all the stuff that were involved in the case or in the from the same precinct and then going you know and then nick nolte decides to show up randomly but he has this whole long thing of him basically talking to his mother basically saying you know look i'm sorry this happened to you i'm sorry we were never able to find who it was you know but you shaped me this this thing is what made me who i am um the book is well written it actually reminds me a lot of my writing style where like i cut out um, and and with and stuff like that to put in commas a lot. So his his book White Jazz, which is the book where it was almost double the size, he cut like sixty thousand words out of the manuscript, 
that reads like uh, super percussive, like staccato. Right, right. Like and that's just, very much what his style is. Da, 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 da. And like, I think that was the first, the White Jazz was the first book he did that with. So I guess he continued that style. Well, um, Black Dahlia was the first in the LA Quintet. That was his first major novel, but he did a bit of that. It wasn't super, like it it well, was white he, jazz like the whole book is yeah he tried like, he played with it and yeah. then i guess with white jazz he perfected it but um it's it is a fictionalized tale about elizabeth shore and black dahlia um yeah. the thing that's and it's uh just to kind of lay it down it's about two detectives mr fire mr ice um who used to both be professional boxers actually had nothing to do with each other until the race riots um, of 42, I think it was, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, through circumstance, end up becoming partners. And they, the whole thing takes place over m- months and years, but as essentially they get jobs and warrants and are trying to bust somebody else whenever the uh, Black Dahlia's corpse is found. And they play it plays loose with the facts. It makes the Black Dahlia a um, basically a whore, who yeah, with does. the whole arm sources whenever really she wasn't. But um, there comes an odd moment in the movie or in the book, sorry, where both one of them is super obsessed, like has completely lost his fucking mind, and they eventually explain it. Like he ends up disappearing for over half the book. Um, whereas in the movie he's around and then gets killed by a you know, in a random occurrence, like yeah. gangland style. And then Bucky dispatches the body or, you know, or he yeah, has, yeah, it. They, they burn his corpse. Yeah. Like the, yeah, yeah. They burn the corpse and so nobody will know what happened. Whereas in the book, he ends up searching him for forever and then finally goes, okay, I'm going to find him and finds the body and then kind of freaks the fuck out based off what happened. And then the thing, the book could end like four different times, but it just keeps kind of layering on more and more stuff until you realize, oh, they're going to solve the Black Dahlia case, a case that is still unsolved with no fucking leads. So this is going to be interesting and it ties in, you know, Hollywood and um, this rich family that's known for the movies and, you know, the, there are some oddities in there and the movie tries to correct them. Like the movie does a really good job with the first half of the movie where characters, they have the fights, they have all the stuff, but the characters will say stuff that was internal monologue for him, yeah. but it's said between the partners. Well, see, like, I, I read, like, the first four chapters, and then right. I, I immediately put the movie on just because I wanted to watch it. Right. And it was just spot on with everything. Like, it blended everything together really well. It's like, okay, he said this, or thought this here, and said that there, and that explained that. Right. It, it, and, it was and, well done in that sense. And it does a good job. It's only until, I think... Madeline is introduced. Yeah, that the movie really starts to falter because in the um, it's very similar where he um, finds out that the Dahlia was playing Les, as yeah. they put it, and goes through the bars. Then Madeline shows up and she rabbits, and so he chases after her, finds out who she is, and then tries to pick her up. Yeah, all the same. Dinner's very similar. Um, but the movie, 
I can't remember who the actress is, but she always plays very over the top, just ah uh, sort of characters. And she does it, and she you know she's blitzed out of her mind, and is loud, obnoxious, and clearly a villain. Yeah. Wow. Whereas in the book, you're just like, okay, they're eccentric. But you kind of find out as the story goes on that they've manipulated him through the entire book. And even when they reveal the killer in the book, or in the movie, Georgie is the one who dies with... um, Uh, Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart's character. um, Dies with him. He's the one trying to kill him. Um, But in the book, he's still alive. And... Bucky goes to confront him and is attacked almost like Scissor Man from Clock Tower. Oh, like yeah. attacks him, he ends up shooting him in the head, and that's it. It's solved. Like he, they burn the place. They think they've caught the Dahlia, and then he realizes the man who he find um, a neighbor has the man who laughs portrait, oh, and he's yeah. able to tie it back to the family and realize it was the mother who actually killed the Dahlia with George because she was George's lover. And Madeline isn't the real daughter, you know. Yeah. So there's this whole, like, um, aristocratic inbreeding sort of thing and lower class and all this stuff is played in there. (coughs) All the while, Bucky, the one thing I guess I will say about him is that he's idealistic. And so whenever it comes to busting people that need to be busted, he will do it even if it rips the entire department apart. Like there's a whole entire thing about a couple of the internal police people in the book having actually slept with Elizabeth Short the like week oh, okay. the week she died, and them covering it up, but also um, informing to the FBI about or informing to the people who are about to be taken down by the FBI, and then collecting bribes from that. Wow! And whenever they finally bust the guy, the father of the guy they bust, who's also a police officer, ends up killing himself, which then creates problem for Bucky, and Bucky ends up in three different departments before finally figuring out who the Dahlia, Dahlia killer is, and then having to cover it up and never getting any, anywhere wow. yeah, with, it. with it. And really well, the book, love it. Um, except for some oddities. The movie, love the first half. Second half just completely dissolves. I really, uh, yeah. you. that's the point where they started taking liberties with the story and going, well, we can't go to Tijuana and can't go to New, you know, New Jersey to find out more about the Dahlia. So what Aaron, are we going to do? Aaron Eckhart falls off a thing and then crushes his head. Which was awesome. It was it was a cool effect, but you know you go for the whole thing where he actually when dies. You actually, into, read the book. It's kind of like uh, yeah, that's not what. See, yeah, and I and I haven't read the second half of the yeah. book at all. So or really, the last two thirds of so, it. So I, I love the movie though. I haven't seen I haven't seen the movie. I've been meaning to watch it because I want to catch up on yeah. what Brian De Palma's career has been. It, it's awesome. You should watch the black and white version of The Mist. No, that was um, Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont, damn it! But uh, (laughs) whoops. So when I was watching the Zodiac or Zodiac a bunch, which is about two years, almost two years ago now, uh, I checked out a book from the library by a guy named Steve Hodel, and it was about where he was implicating his father based on a bunch of evidence about his dad, where his dad lived, what his dad did, the type of bullshit that his dad had been kind of guilty of him is implicating him in these kind of different serial killings but the thing is is he's an ex-police detective 
but originally he had implicated his father as the Black Dahlia killer. Interesting. And his name, his dad is named George Hill Hodel. So when you're saying the word George, the name George, it was the wife. I'm like, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, in the movie, I know they call him Georgie. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but like, he was a doctor. Like the Doctor in American Horror Story. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Like so, it, it all like they've tied all this and yeah, all the mythology of the Black Dahlia keeps kind of showing. Yeah, like, he was a dentist in American Horror Story, wasn't he? Yeah, but like he was a he was just a yeah. was like a general. You know, he was just yeah. like a, a he was basically a fake doctor because you know it was the yeah. 1920s <laughs> when he started being a doctor in L.A. Right. You know, so he basically uh, didn't have any real. Being a fake doctor. He, he he had gotten some military training in mm. medicine and so he just kind of passed it off as having a degree in medicine and that was and like this guy like didn't see his father for like 30 years like his father disappeared to southeast asia and he would randomly see him but like really didn't see him for almost 30 years of his life until he was like an old man but there's all these weird connections that like correspond to the Zodiac killings, like like when he was in America, <laughs> and like it's 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 a fascinating read. It's total bullshit. It's total reaching. Like he's yeah. definitely the Black Dahlia. Like someone, there's one of the guys who's uh, he's not one of the original detectives, but he's like a LA detective who had been on like unsolved cases or whatever. Right. When he read the Black Dahlia book that the guy wrote, he was like. Well, that's it. Because, like, there's too much evidence that ties George Hodel to the Black Dahlia. There's too much. Like, yeah. But so, they can't officially. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. I mean, the guy's been dead for already 15 years or whatever. Yeah, there's not enough. There's no real proof, but there's too much evidence. Yep. Yeah, but there's so much that it's like, yep. Yep, probably. He probably, probably. was. He probably <laughs> killed Elizabeth Short. I'm not going to say he did it, but probably. Yeah. So, um, I, the other night, decided to watch a documentary I had seen before, or, well, hoaxumentary, called Sandman. <laughs> mm. It's about... Yeah, so it's not a mockumentary, it's a hoaxumentary? It's the S&M man. Yeah, it, it's written like S and for Sandman. And so... Um, <laughs> wow. The way the way that it's presented is that this guy was originally wanting to write a or you know do a documentary about a peeping tom that was in his neighborhood, and essentially he decided to kind of look into snuff films and um, underground um, horror, like the extremes of horror and voyeurism and all this stuff, and. Uh, while he's trying to get the peeping tom to say, "Hey, yes, you can make you know you can use footage, and I'll interview you and stuff like that," he interviews these underground filmmakers, including one who has a series of movies called Sandman. The thing about this guy, you know, we've got Beelzeb or Bill Zabub, Bill Zabub, Bill Zabub, <laughs> the basket maker. <laughs> um, I can't, I can't remember what the other guy's name is. But um, Bilzebub, he can cash checks under the name Bilzebub. That's all you need to know. Yeah, he, he's into Cannibal Corpse, and he's <laughs> totally that metalhead dude. Oh, wow. Drunk most of the time. He's the cliched metalhead? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Everything wow. you just said. Yeah. Um, 
done a bunch of meth at one point in his life, looks a little haggard. Probably here and beard, there. You know, yeah. drunk almost his entire life. I think his interview, he's holding a beer. <laughs> the entire time, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. There's another guy who um, employs a girl who can vomit on command, and so wow. she does that, in the, and he has his grandmother in his movies. Yeah, he kills his grandmother in a movie and then takes her teeth out and plays with them. And Said that she'll That's, take... She'd sorry. take her shirt off for him if he wanted her, wanted her to, and she does, and... <laughs> You know, so, <laughs> but there's a, there's uh, Eric. Cause she supports him. Yeah, she does. She's his biggest <laughs> fan. Um, wow. But there's this um, filmmaker named Eric who he, they just kind of meet in the middle of a convention, just selling the Sandman he, episodes out of his bag. And he's kind of evasive whenever it comes to what he's actually doing. It sounds like he makes it sound he like he didn't seem that evasive to me. It seemed like he was answering the questions pretty well. Well, the thing is, is that the way that the... He just didn't give details. Well, the way the video is, it shows him following a woman. And, you know, there's stuff in there that you can obviously figure out it's fake. Like, whenever you have to erase the woman from existing by doing some voodoo. But that's part of the movie. Though. It's that's part, part of, of his movie. It is part of his movie. But um, what's the director calls into question is he says... You know, he asks them, well, do they know that you're following him? And yeah, the f- yeah, they do. Well, not, not well, always. Like, the first time he answers it, he says, no, they don't, but I tell them eventually. He, he doesn't like them to know initially, and then eventually they will meet him. Right, but then later he says that, um, yes, or yes, they do know. Well, not all the time. So he's the unreliable narrator. Yeah. yeah, and so there's there's a lot of this where the director is trying to get him to say stuff while visiting him at his house, but the guy is also being creepy by talking about, hey, this, you know, when I'll I'll film you while I kill you, and wow, stuff like that. And you're, you know, you also have people who are talking about, you know, um, well, I can't I, remember what it's at, called. at one point they take a turn in the movie where they talk about kind of. All of the safety aspects and how they know that they're not actually in harm's way. The actresses. Right. Like you say, banana. Yeah, like they have safe words and, you know, it's about making them comfortable. And the one actress, so, she's always talking so about it's how. more honest than Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the one actress, she talks about how, well, she's never felt unsafe. And if she did feel unsafe, she'd let them know. But Where, at the same time, she's bound by that point. So what could she really do? <laughs> Yeah, but whereas Eric at that point in the movie, documentary, whatever, takes a turn into he doesn't like, it's the complete opposite of that. Wow. Like, and, and you know, it. there's just a lot of, they play with, a lot with the question of whether or not he might actually be doing it because he won't give any them contact information for any of the women. And yeah. he even talks about how he had set up the shot, but the bitch ran away. And but then I caught up to her, and then I just had to strangle her there instead of stab her to death. Yeah, you know stuff and, like and that. And it looks fake, and that's kind of the, his point. Yeah, it's like, well, you, you know, you see how much blood comes out of a real body. Oh, you've seen real bodies. Like you, yes. you, you'd be surprised how much is actually in a body. Yeah, how 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 little or well, he, it is. I don't even think he says little. I think he just says you'd, you'd be, be surprised, surprised how, how much is, is yeah. in the body, which isn't as much as yeah. what you see in most movies. Oh yeah, I mean, I was I was talking to my wife like about that like if you watch like grindhouse movies like those are gallons. Yeah, it's of absurd. Blood. You don't even have gallons of blood in your body. Right. Yeah. Like but, in one shot. 
but you're you know, dead. The, the, video, the videos are like them being bound with like duct tape and them hopping oh. away while he just kind of walks behind them. And, and then you know, he eventually like, strangles them. And then he even shows the filmmaker how he strangles them. And it's like, ah, I'm choking you to death, but you can still breathe, right? Yeah. See, you're good. See, that's what I do. Fall to the ground. And the guy just kind of climbs on the ground. There you go. Yeah. You know, it, so the thing, the reason it's a hoaxumentary is because two out of three of the filmmakers are real. The Sandman is not. He is a production assistant on a couple of movies, and that was his only time acting. Wow. <laughs> but his name is Eric. It's spelled differently, and he has a different last name. But and he's the best part of the movie. He is. And they actually do a really good job. Like, I had told Daryl, I, I thought Daryl had seen the movie. So I just mentioned to him, oh, yeah, Sandman, like, the, they have the fake guy. And he's like, what are you talking about? I show him the trailer. He goes, I haven't seen that. I was like, okay, time to watch it. But what we're watching. if I yeah. if I hadn't, you know, I'm sure you know he would have figured it out. But um, they do a good job at playing with what's is, true, what's what's, what's true, and what's not. And they even make a point of that at the very end of the movie. Is the director basically saying like, you know, you expect to see this, and this type of stuff blurs the line between that, kind of hinting at this is what I'm doing here just without telling you. But they also do have expert expert analysis, people talking about... Um, and the one lady that's in uh, film analysis, like, she's awesome. Yeah, I, I she's good. I love her parts She's it. good, yeah. Um, like there's she talks also about the, the killer's perspective thing. and the camera's perspective, and she goes into Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. And, like, the one scene where they videotape the home invasion and the murder... I, I, I tried to watch that one day. I thought I'd watched that with you in, like, high school. No, we didn't watch Okay. <laughs> you watch it with somebody else. Fair. Um, well, to be fair, or if we did watch it, there was possibly I was on a lot of drugs. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, well, Daryl thought I was the one there at the theater, yeah. not you. So, yeah, so, at one point, probably. Yeah. And so, I was like, I I don't even know what theater you guys are talking about. It's, it's a confusing time. <laughs> there were there were lots of head injuries involved. Um but yeah, so high school. <laughs> I, I actually even though it is a hoaxumentary and it's you know, it's out there that hey, this guy isn't real, it's still worth watching. It does a good job, um, plays around a lot with snuff films and the people going like are they do they exist or they not exist right and what i well one guy says yes i've seen one it, and really it it comes into if you did see one would you know you actually saw one is kind of right. the theme it ends up on yeah and which which is an interesting way to take it because most of the time you know yeah I mean, how would you, you know? watch you watch movies and the way that they're done it's, it feels fuck like it feels very real even though it's not yeah. And so it's like, how do you know, you know, and also, would you really want to know if it was real? Yeah. If you saw something that terrible, if you saw, like, okay, when, uh, with all the bullshit about, uh, about a lot of the recent cop attacks mm-hmm. because of the supposed race problems in America. Well, I mean, they're not supposed they're, there's yeah. a problem, uh, but like the way the cops are treating it, like this supposed race problem, but yeah. they attack us too. I saw a video that someone that's like a propaganda film. It's a yeah. fucking snuff film because it uses real footage of cops really getting killed in the line of duty from like security cameras and like. But, but did somebody pay to have it made initially? It, I'm sh- no, no, 
These okay. are these are full. Got to meet that definition. Their apparently. dashboard. Yeah, yes. There's their dashboard. Can't, I have to say to you, I I'm going to pay you money. You make a movie where you kill somebody, and I'm going to watch it. There, well, there, there, there is that the, yeah. that line there. That's, well, that's but, more or less. But for, yeah. but for me, it's like I'm watching this. I'm like, I'm like make. I made it to a certain point in the video, and I just shut it off because I was like, why are why are you showing me re- like? There's one. It's like convenience store footage, and like there's a there's kind of like a tussle, and then you hear gunfire. Well, and you I hear mean, gunfire, and you see the guy walk back, walk about to walk away, walk back, bow bow, and walk out, and you're like. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. Well, I, I mean, that's the. I mean, I, technically, how many uh, thousands, hundreds, thousands, whatever Americans have watched the beheadings? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, going by that, that's what. Oh, God. That, I've watched was, all of them. I bet you have. I, I watched the one with the reporter because there was all this talk of like, yeah. of like the fact that someone was like, dude. They had a director. There's a there's a camera setup. There's all these certain oh, it's, cuts. It's, it's amazing. Have you seen the one where they light the guy on fire? It's no. amazing. He does a <laughs> long walk, slow mode down. They've got like an army of dudes lined up standing there. It's like if I'm this dude walking out here, he's not chained, he's not cuffed, he's got the silly outfit on, he's walking all slow mo, walking to his death. He has to know. If that was me, fuck your video. I'm gonna run away. Fuck it. Shoot me in the back. I'm fucking up your video. But yeah. no, he walks to the cage. He gets in the cage. They light him on fire. And the best part about that video, no matter how good and well done it's made, at the end, a fucking bulldozer rolls up, fucking buries the fucking cage in dirt. Like, what was that about? Yeah. It's weird, but the technical aspects going into all of that leading up to it is supremely strange. But there's that idea of, like, the spectacle. Yeah, and then like that's what they make it into. Yeah, and, like, so it's like you're treating murdering people like a spectacle. And, like, that's such a fucked... Like the fact that we're at that point with video cameras and smartphones and information that we're at this point where people have to create spectacles. Well, I mean, to be killing people to make to it be like, fair, um, the uh, what is that? The faces of death has been yeah. around for almost thirty years now. Yeah. Even though a lot of that's you know faked, yeah. the you know all the pertinent stuff is faked. The um, people, it's not a new thing. Yeah. It has nothing to do with modern day technology or anything like that. People have been hungry for this stuff for decades. But, but there's a difference between someone making a video for that purpose, like faking deaths on purpose based on real events, yeah. and someone really killing people. Right. Well, the, really, the, the, like, the and problem. really videotaping it and then really putting it out there. Yeah, but the thing As is, a device is, to build. <laughs> there, well, there, there, there is a difference there. There's not a difference in the person that f- seeks out faces of death thinking it's real. Well, yeah, but I, knowing myself, I have purposely never. Like, I think maybe I watched one of them with you because <laughs> you were like, you were like, look at I, how I, stupid this is. Isn't this dumb? Well, I mean, I've that watched that. I've, right. I, I mean, I remember in. Um, I remember high when school. Netflix started their instant queue and faces of death was one of the first things on there. And I was so happy. He's like, I haven't seen this in a long time. Well, uh, what I was going to say is, I mean, I used to look at accident photos in, um, Mr. Stryker's class in, uh, at Westmore. <laughs> what was that fucking website where they had like Chris, uh, Chris Farley's dead photo? Like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. Well, but the, Ogrish was one of the good ones. I can't remember. It was like, but yeah, I mean, I used to look at that stuff all the time. Like, what the or there's fuck? just dead celebrities. 
Well, I I mean, I think I'm pretty sure the only time I wa- I ever saw that shit was other people being like, look how fucked up this is. I'm like, dude, why are you showing me <laughs> that, that? That's always how it starts. <laughs> hey, look how fucked up this is. What is this? Why is this dude walking in slow-mo in an orange jump? Oh, jumper? God. Oh, oh, God. Oh, okay. Well, why are I mean, there 12 dudes lined up on the beach? What's with the mask, dude? Why do they all have knives? Oh, they're decapitating everyone. Okay. Yeah, I, I also showed Daryl, because we were on a snuff film kick, apparently. Yes. Wow. We watched uh, the guinea pig movies. <laughs> we watched the first two. We watched two of them, yeah. There's six. The first one's pretty lame. The second one's really interesting. But not for any good reasons. <laughs> no, not for a good reason. Well, actually, this podcast is taking a dark turn. Okay, the reason the second one is interesting <laughs> is because, well, the, the reason we got on the subject is that Charlie Sheen saw the second one while coked up out of his, you know, just out of his mind and thought it was a real snuff film and called the FBI on it. So, like, the people who saw the cannibal Holocaust movie and thought it was that real? That sort of thing, yeah. But the FBI was already looking into the filmmakers for the first film, which actually plays more like a traditional snuff film. Yeah, the first one's, like, silly, and it's not hard to watch. It's weird. It is, because, you know... It's like, oh, they're slapping this chick in the face. Oh, they're spinning her around in the chair, and they're doing a tally of how many times they... Spin around in the chair. Oh, the, now oh, they're, they're um, suffocating her a little bit. Uh, oh, they're using pliers to pull up her knuckles. For, and you know, pull stuff up her like skin, that. and it, it's like S and M shit. Yeah, and then but on in a weird way, it's like yeah. that's not normal S and M shit. Yeah, like that's fucked up. And, like right. that's too far for but, me. But it's too at, far for. But at that people. point, it's not really too far. It's like that doesn't seem that bad, really. Until in the long they start term. cutting her up. Yeah, until they start killing her. Wow. Um, yeah. And then you watch the second one and it's it is cinematic. Yeah. Like they like it shows a woman running in the park or walking in the park and then the person like chloroforms her I think. Yeah, he he chloroforms her and she and... falls and then the camera focuses on her shoe and zooms into it before making the transition. And then <laughs> It's inside this house, and the guy is wearing... Dressed as a samurai, but without the face mask. He's got the helmet but, and on. And he's got super pale makeup on. And... and and it's very much hostile, like the movie. like that. It is hostile. That That is where wow. it comes from. And the not to get into all the gory specifics of it, but the thing he does to make it tolerable for her is drug her with some... Like heroin or something. He, he drugs her up. And then, and she enjoys the pain. And what was weird watching it is I never actually pinpointed the part where she died. Yeah, there's, I I think it's once he removed her eyes. Like, like he's, yeah, like he removes her hand and then he removes her other hand and then he just takes off one whole arm and then it gets a little fuzzy after that and he takes out her eyes and her legs. He dismembers her and then cuts her head off. And it, it and it's then, like terrible then, cinematics, but they go into it, it's like when he's going to cut her head off. It's like a long slow mo. Well, got the cleaver back. Yeah. Um, well, and and he and he stops before every single one and talks about this is what I'm going to be taking off because the blood on the he's flesh. He's going to make the red beautiful. blossoms come out of her wrist now. You know stuff like that, and then it goes into a super cinematic thing of that it panning around the room with maggots on different body parts and. So yeah. what? Is, what is our obsession with, with the fact that we can film death? Makes me feel good. Uh, be, well, <laughs> it's just a fascination. But like they they went into that with uh, Sandman. Sandman. It's like okay, when does the exact moment happen? Is it just a switch? It's like oh, you're alive now. You're off. Like 
What 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 exactly is the process there? It's like filming it, you can look at yeah, it, like, analyze it, and understand it from but, some point. You you don't actually get it because you can't. It's just okay. They're on now. They're off. It's like a robot with a switch, except the switch is violence. Yeah. So, I mean, and I don't know. That's. I really did enjoy the first couple of Saw movies. I don't. I think I stopped at three. Yeah, I I love the Saw movies. I'd love to see them all cut together in a normal timeline. I want to see them play out from start to finish. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a fan edit for that. We'll get that. Yeah, Yeah, we'll. we'll, I'll check. See if I can find that for you. Sure, it exists. Um, Okay, so last thing that I watched. (laughs) We just made it. Damn it! It's called It Follows. Oh, you watched it? I got to see. I hate you. I'm not listening. Run away. <laughs> <laughs> Run away. I would see it again, Daryl. Remember, kids asleep. Okay. So It Follows is a um, horror movie. It is... Essentially, the premise of it is... Um, a creature... Um, will start following you at walking speed. And the only way you can pass it on is through sex. So it's an STD body horror movie? Um, it kind of seems like an STD at first. But uh, for me personally, it actually almost started to more resemble... Um, um, what? Uh, sorry, I can't think of the fucking word. Being um, sexually attacked, whatever that's called. Raped? No, no. Um, uh, I got, I'm just like mol- molestation stuff oh, like oh, that. Okay. Um, and my fucking phone's dead and internet's all that stuff. I had yeah. an actual word for it, so I'm feeling really smart right now. So, yay! But smart. um, th- because they'll be acting normally, and what the person who's been infected in the movie will then turn and see somebody walking towards them from far far away and you'll see somebody walking towards them and then the camera will move and then it'll come then the movie then the person will look back out and that person is still walking towards them just staring at them as they approach closer and closer and closer and their entire mood and the way that their body language is changes once they're reminded that this thing is following them and it never leaves them and it affects every single person that deals with it so, you know, it could de- definitely be a sexual assault. That's it. Yeah. So, um I thought of the word assault when you were saying that and I was like that yeah, that's yeah. what I was going for because the um okay, so the basic plot of the movie is um this girl, you know, normal teenager, probably I think in high school, she um goes out on a date with a guy. They're in a theater and the guy points out a girl to her. And she doesn't see the person. He's like, okay, we need to leave. And on their next date, they end up having sex. After which he chloroforms her and ties her to a wheelchair. Awesome. And when she wakes up, you see him walking around with a flashlight going, okay, you can't, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to hurt you, but I have to, you know, I have to, you have to realize what is going on and explains it to her. And shows her the thing. And, um, the thing. Well, 
No, I just it it, it takes the form of random people, people you know, people you love, just like the thing. I'll stab you in the face. <laughs> um, but it could take be anybody, and the guy shows it by the thing walking towards her, him going up next to it and flashing a flashlight at it, showing you know showing the light on its skin and stuff, and saying, "This is real." I need you to remember this, you know, and then taking her in the wheelchair, getting her to escape and just saying, the only way you can pass it on is through sex, through sex. And, um, but if it kills the person you have sex with, it will then come after you. And one of the things that's really great about the movie is that it doesn't, um, like parents really are not involved. It's these kids and them trying to escape this thing. Um, that for the longest time you're not sure if it has any physical properties other than it will fucking kill you if it gets to you because nobody else can see it it seems to pass through things without you know just happen to walk through for the longest time just walk through people and you never see it actually interacting with those people um very much a michael myers you know freddie or sorry jason sort of thing of it's always walking towards you. It is unstoppable. And when it catches up to you, it will kill you. So, um, I ended up really loving the cinematography on it. Like, one of the great things it does is it does, it will show you something and then not let you look at it. Like, um, there's one scene where. They're in, just so not to ruin more stuff for Daryl, he's looking at me like I'm going to, he hates me, is um, they're in this building surrounded by other people and you see where they're at and then the camera just turns very slowly, focusing on different things and then you look out, you see out the window, you see somebody walking towards them, towards the camera, far in the background, probably, you know, good thousand feet, something like that away from it, just walking towards the camera. And the camera just continues to pan and just keeps going and keeps going until it finally centers on them getting the information they need and then does a hard cut to them leaving the place. And once again, you see that figure walking towards them where they're at now, but nobody notices it. But And it plays with that expectation of, is that person walking the creature or is it somebody else or is it just a normal person yeah and it does a really good job with it um personally i didn't find the movie that scary but it was visually interesting and had a great soundtrack the guy actually um reminds me a lot of like john carpenter music but mixed with chip tunes John Carpenter's Chip Tunes. Yeah, so really recommend it. Would totally go see it again. I want to see it. Well, then we should go see it. So it's he's, playing? He's, yeah. yeah. Oh, I did not know. Yeah, that. it's yeah. In, it's in like it's, six. Local why theaters. did I see Furious Seven? I have no fucking clue. I, didn't I don't know. know. It was out. They they played a trailer for it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I saw it at Tinseltown. <laughs> okay. It was on a super limited release. I heard, and then. Because we we almost went and saw Chappie last weekend, but we just go see Chappie. Chappie. I know, and actually, I think it's out of theaters now. 
So, well, as I said last week, ending soon. So, like, yeah, go see Chappie. It's oh, I'll, I'll probably go see it at the Dollar Theater. I don't know. I I don't know that that's necessarily one you have to see in theaters. It's like there's certain movies I feel you have to see in theaters, like Fast and Furious. That's a movie you see in theaters. Action movies you see in theaters. Yeah. Uh, really well composed art films. Yes. Yeah. You see those in theaters. Like when I saw Hero in theaters. Yes. Seeing it on a. So, funny thing about Hero, the first time I saw Hero, I saw it in Mandarin with Japanese subtitles. We had no idea what was going on. That it was the cool. most beautiful experience. <laughs> <laughs> it was like one of those things like. You were watching a movie, you have no idea what's going on, but it's like touching you in every level. Yeah, yeah. it is. That, like That's something I, I really wish there was more of. Like in a lot of movies now, like with Fast and Furious 7, just because I saw it like fucking last night. Right. They When somebody speaks a different language, there are subtitles built into the movie and they make it a part of the movie. They make it hip and cool. I really wish they didn't do that. I don't want to know what they're saying. I don't speak that language. Well, I, wish uh, I like that. I a lot of times in Breaking Bad, they don't translate like the, the yeah. you know, it's like. Here's one of the interesting things is if you watch um, like Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Yeah. It's broken now. When you when I saw it in theaters, it had subtitles whenever they were speaking a foreign language. Oh, yeah. Um, Spanish. They were yeah. speaking Spanish. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, a foreign language in yeah. Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> but whenever they were speaking Spanish, they had subtitles. But if you watch the DVD version, if you don't have subtitles on, you don't see it. You can't read it, but then you have to have subtitles for everything else. Yeah. And so it's broken in that regard, but it also makes the movie more interesting, like you said. Cause I love it. Like a great example my friends gave to me was Snowpiercer. They had all seen it without subtitles because they watched a ripped copy of it. And I, the first time I saw it was in theaters and there were subtitles. It's like I got everything that was said. I really wish I hadn't have seen it that way. I really wanted them to be speaking Korean and me not understand what was going on, even though eventually they do get the little transcoder that tells them what they're saying. Eventually, but there was a lot of parts where it was like, yeah, I have no idea what that, that guy's saying that I, I really should have felt. Yeah. But let's dumb things down. Yeah. So that's what we've been consuming. We'll be right back with our Nerd Atois. And we're back. So uh, our nerd this week was uh, dreamed up by Nathan. What was it? Uh, it is top three favorite soundtracks of movies. It can be the orchestral score or it can be the uh, song soundtrack that you bought. You know, that some of the songs were in the movie, some of them weren't. You know, it could be both. It could be either some movies do not have pop song scores. Some of them just have pop song scores like Guardians of the Galaxy. So I left it kind of wide open. I just said favorite soundtracks. So Okay. Well, um, so for my number three is a little known movie called Repo Men with Jude Law. Um, not Repo the Genetic Opera? No, no. Fuck that movie. That movie fucking sucks. <laughs> I've watched Repo Men like the first two thirds of it. 
like probably four times I've yet to see the end of that movie. Uh, well, it's, it's just funny because it's the exact plot of Repo the Genetic Opera treated seriously. But written before because it was a novel beforehand. Oh, well, this was a, they did a opera workshop and they just came up with a crazy yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. You I could tell because so it's record completion. saying I did not like Repo the Genetic Opera. Yeah, I, yeah, me I, too. There's like I, two songs out of the whole thing. I got, I, I got to the point that the family was talking about all their operations or some shit and then I was like, yeah, I'm kind of done with this. I just like yeah. the fact that it's Ogre the Skinny Puppy. Yeah. Ogre from Skinny Which is Puppy cool. got to stand next to Paris Hilton and be more awesome than her. That, that's because Ogre is awesome and Skinny yeah, Puppy but, rocks the shit. But just on film, they captured that moment on film yeah. that Ogre is still more awesome than Paris Hilton. Um, well, for, for me, the, the reason I love the Repo Men um, soundtrack is because it takes a lot of older songs, like Every Day Will Be Like a Holiday, and um, puts this into this futuristic kind of dark movie not quite you know saw level of gore but still a dark movie about um repossessing organs whenever people can't pay up um it also has one of my favorite uncle songs uh burn my shadow which is actually the best part of the movie yep. which you've missed but they actually synced it up by playing the song hmm. um during that segment so complete. It, it is I totally forgot Uncle existed as yep. a band. <laughs> that was erased from my memory. Apparently, <laughs> you mentioned Uncle, and I was like, "Oh yeah, there was a band." U N K L E. Yeah, because oh, their yeah. first album was um, Star Wars, um, wow. mu- like music or whatever, something like that. So, uh, Daryl, what's your pick? Go the other direction. Please. So, um, I was polite. So, my first one, uh, my number three pick, uh, I will say uh, there's a movie uh, by Pedro Almodovar uh, called Talk to Her. Uh, it is the incidental music is written by Alberto Iglesias, and he picked a lot of the songs that are used in there. Uh, there's a famous song, uh, Cuckoo Rucucu, which is a, a cuckoo song that's in Spanish. Uh, the entire movie's in Spanish. It's, uh, but uh, it's a fantastic version. You see it in the movie. It ends up meaning, meaning a lot. The movie is basically about how two women end up comatose and the two men, who one who's the caretaker of them and one who is the lover of one of them, uh, become friends, and then a dark secret is revealed. And I don't want to give it away because it's... It sounds rapey. It is rapey. But the thing is, is you've I like nev- rapey. You have never, you've never felt such deep pathos for someone who does something terrible. It's just one of those movies. You're like, holy, how did you make someone who should be the villain, uh, you know, a, a relatable you know, a character that you can actually feel their feelings for. You know, you, you can understand what they yeah. were doing and why they thought what they were doing. But a uh, beautiful movie, beautiful soundtrack. Uh, there, it, it uses some Master Piazzolla music, which I, I mentioned Master Piazzolla before. Uh, and it's just, oh, it's beautiful, gorgeous. Daryl, what is your... <laughs> Number three. No, no, number three for me is the Terminator 2 soundtrack. Do, 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 do. 
Yes. Love that fucking soundtrack. I saw the movie when it came out in theaters. Loved the shit out of it. I immediately asked my mother to buy me the soundtrack. How old were you seeing this movie? I don't know, like seven or eight. Dude, okay. The first movie I remember seeing was fucking RoboCop, and I was like four. Yeah, I and did. I did see that. I didn't see it in theaters. I that's saw it the on first video. movie. I yeah, that's when I saw it. That's the first movie I remember seeing. And having watched that movie as an adult about twenty or thirty times, I will say probably not the best movie for a child to watch yeah. at the ripe old age of four or five. <laughs> well, yeah. it, like Terminator Two, whenever it was on, to, like I think my parents had recorded on VHS or we had a copy yeah. of it or something, and my mother would let me watch the movie, but not with the sound. <laughs> what? <laughs> Because the sound makes it better. Well, because, because it was cuss so words. hearing the bullets. No, no, it was it was it, the cussing is really is supposed to be really bad in that movie. I don't hear cuss words. I don't remember. Yeah. There's cursing in that movie. There's I know not, there there's is, not but, there's not that much compared to well, like, I know most nineties movies. But that. but still, my so there's parents, a lot of cursing but, out of a twelve year old. Past that, not really. But, but, my, but it's my, before my it's before Quentin Tarantino too. Yeah. So but like my, the creative my, cursing. My parents. Are super work super conservative. I don't know if they're still. I don't fucking know. But we'll just assume yes. Yeah, they're super conservative, and so language was worse for them than violence. Wow. So I would always get in trouble because I'd be turning it up so I could hear what was going on in the movie. Because yeah. who wants to watch a fucking movie with no sound? That's uh, not a silent movie. There's still sound. There's music. Well, depends on the depends on the silent movie. Some of them there aren't. Cool story, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Terminator 2, the soundtrack. Da, amazing. Da, 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 da. No, it's, it's not even just that song. I know. That, that, that song I love. Uh, but all of the other tracks are amazing. I used to listen to that cassette. Just flip it over, play it all the way through, flip it over, play it all the way through. So do you feel like it influenced you like pretty deeply musically? Yeah, because as a child, like that was running in the back of my head in a lot of dead situations. When there was dead silence, it's like, okay, we're playing this song from this point in the movie because this fits the situation. It's like, <laughs> I, I have my own soundtrack to my life. Unfortunately for me, it's Terminator fucking 2. <laughs> which is Judgment a terrible day. thing, but it's kind of, uh, you know, sad. <laughs> I do feel sad for you. Yeah, but it was wonderful because it's a damn good score and you should love it. So um, my number two, I decided to deviate from Nathan's prompt. Damn Good. right you did. You son of a bitch. Yeah, so I went with a video game, yes. Shadow of the Colossus. Woo! You fucker. Who wrote it? Uh, that's a good question. I don't fucking know. <laughs> wow. Damn. Good research there, That's buddy. some cold shit. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't care. It's amazing. Um, you know those guys get paid, so their name is in the credits, right? Yeah. Yes, I yeah. do. I do know that. Yeah. I don't fucking care. You should. <laughs> that's that's great. They're not going to get paid for me mentioning Shadow of the Colossus no, in here. But if you're going to reference something, you should. You, know, you should yeah. probably know who made the music. I, yeah. I, I, if hey, you guess love what? It, yeah. Hey, guess what? I would totally look it up right now, but I have no internet and my phone is dead. So if you want to look it up for okay. me, Nathan, instead of bitching wait, at me, wait, about what is it, it again? Shadow of the Colossus. I just had to fuck with you. So because the thing I love about Shadow of the Colossus is that it's the video game is it cuts out all the bullshit of having small enemies and having to grind. It is essentially a puzzle action game where all there are 16 bosses that are giant, mostly giant colossi that you are told by a disembodied voice you have to kill in order to save this woman. You don't know if it's um, your sister. His name was uh, Kao Otani or Otani Kao. 
uh, you know, depending on how you want to read your Japanese. It was right. composed by him. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, the thing about it is that it is a monumentally sad game when it comes down to it. Um, the opening credits have your main character riding a horse with a shrouded body on there, which is a woman. You don't know if it's girlfriend, wife, sister. You just know you're trying to save them. You make a deal with a demon, essentially, or a disembodied god to hunt down these creatures. And each one you fight, like it's a it's a wasteland. You have to go to different parts of the world. And whenever you track them down, they're usually not doing anything. And you engage them, take them down, and then are attacked by this black goo that infests your body and slowly starts to change how your character looks. And almost how you view these as very sad creatures that you are killing for not doing anything, for no reason that you know of. And eventually... So you can't de-ghoul them? No, eventually you find out that the... Um, the um, colossi were actually all parts of this demon separated out into 16 different creatures that you have now united in your body and it takes you over to try and destroy the world. Interesting. So it's... I've yet to actually play the video games. I want to, but... Oh, it's so... Yeah. I've watched you play a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really, really good. Really interesting because... I know you've got a uh, tattoo... Yeah, to be fair. So if I stab you in the tattoo... Well, it is on my spine. release all 16 of the... Well, the, the thing about the game is is that the way that it works is you have... You're not making this any less enticing. An arrow. <laughs> you have an arrow and you have a sword. And the each um, Colossus has a weak point that if you shoot them, they'll get down or reveal their weak point, And it's the certain symbol. I have that tattooed on my back, on my spine. So, so if somebody, do, do I smell a Daryl snuff film coming? Of <laughs> probably the, this one's called Justin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this one. There, there's the name of the episode. This one. When called I bury Justin. him, people forget who he is. <laughs> so, um, the way I have described the video game to sell it to a lot of people is: imagine if. One of your action figures decided to climb your body and stab you to death with a toothpick in a pressure point. I have that dream all the time. And that is what Shadow of the Colossus is. Wow. So, that's my number two. Uh, my number two is, as perennially obvious, I'll pick a David Lynch film. Lost Highway, not yes. the greatest di- David Lynch yes. film. Greatest fucking David Lynch soundtrack. Trent Reznor produced the soundtrack. Yes. Angelo Badalamente actually supervised the whole thing. And all of the jazz band elements, including the craziest free jazz solo that Bill Pullman tries to fake <laughs> on screen. And it's just like when you're a, when you've been trained as a musician, it's really hard. You're like, yeah. you're not playing that. <laughs> That's not the right fingering for those notes. Uh, but oh my god. Beautiful, beautiful soundtrack. Utilizes first time Romstein was heard in America was on that movie yep. was in that movie on that soundtrack, 
There's some Marilyn Manson stuff, blah, blah, whatever. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. He's in the movie. Which, which song of his is on there? I can't uh, remember. Well, there's a version of I Put a Spell on You. I Put a Spell on You and, and Apple of Sodom. Yeah, Apple of Sodom, which yeah, is Apple from... Apple of Sodom, I love that's that from the fir- That's from their first from record, Antich- right? No, that's from the second one, Antichrist Superstar. Okay, okay. Apple of Sodom. Sodom is amazing, which... Yeah. Yeah, love that. But one. uh, there's a Lou Reed, this magic moment. There's just it's just a wide spectrum. That was the first album that introduced me to David Bowie's Outside, which is I, I'm incorrect. Antichrist Superstar did not have Apple of Sodom. Oh, uh, was it that replaced uh, the Begotten fucking song? I don't remember. But anyhow, so, yeah, yeah. But um, but uh, uh. It introduced me to, the, to uh, David Bowie's Outside with uh, I'm Deranged, which plays at the beginning, yep. um, which is a great Bowie concept album. It's not really high ranked in David Bowie lore, but man, it's an amazing David Bowie album. Yeah. But also The Perfect Drug, which of you, uh, which is Trent Reznor song, amazing video, which if you have not seen, someone did a Taylor mm-hmm. Swift uh, version uh, of I did not know there it's was hilarious <laughs> where they where it's like the choruses are all the perfect drug yeah. but all the word all the verses are uh uh shake it off it's hilarious hmm. i died laughing so many times you know because you're you know going you know while taylor swift is doing her thing but um not the greatest david lynch movie it's uh that's actually another collaboration with barry gifford but they wrote the screenplay together, uh, but it, but it is nothing like you know Wild the Heart, where Wild the Heart is a much more weird, yeah. Re and then David Lynch has all adds all these weird Wizard of Oz, Oz elements to as, it, as he should. Uh, Lost Highway has this whole idea of identity fugue and not really knowing who you are and perpetuating you know all these concepts of you know identity, which resounds through a lot of. David Lynch's films, but man, does that soundtrack kick fucking ass from beginning to end. Like you can just listen to it over and over and over. And like, it's a, it's a great, it's great on its own separated from the movie. When you hear the music in the movie, it works every time. Daryl was your number two. Number two is the Return of the Living Dead soundtrack. Ooh. Yeah. Return of the Living Dead. It's it's an amazing soundtrack. The entire thing is punk themed. The movie's punk themed. It's it's the most fun you can have in a movie. Is it, that the Tom Savini directed one? No, that's the remake of Night of the Living Dead. I know. I just I wanted to make a joke. I, I wanted to It's not a funny joke. <laughs> There's nothing joking it's about It's a shitty that. joke. It's yeah. di- it was directed by Dan O'Bannon, written by Dan O'Bannon. Yeah. Amazing fucking movie. I can pay watch tribute it on repeat. to the dead. Yeah. I can watch it on repeat for hours and hours and hours. Watch it on repeat. And if you find me doing so, beware. Run. Run. Yes. <laughs> but no, it's just. This should fun- have been one of your desert picks. <laughs> oh, repeat. Repeat. Most of the things I'm gonna pick in any of these categories is something I'm gonna view. Yeah. On, on some yeah. level, on repeat. Uh, yeah, Return of the Living Dead. It, there, there's nothing really to say about the soundtrack. It's amazing. It's a bunch of fun punk songs and 45 Grave and whatnot. And yeah, it's it's wonderful. Okay. Surfing Dead. <laughs> wow. Well, my number one is um, 
this is going to be another cheat. Cheaters are cheaters. winners. Cheaters are the us. best. Great for the winners. Well, because uh, this is an anime. Animes count. I know. Well, the reason it's a cheat is because um, the soundtracks for that, there's nine soundtracks for this. That's okay. We can run with that. I'm still trying to figure out the cheat. Well, it's because it's not just one soundtrack. It's nine different CDs. Yeah, but it's it's for Cowboy Did one person write it? Uh, No. 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 So there are nine different CDs in order for you to be able to get the full... Thing, it's for the anime Cowboy Bebop. Woo! Such a great. I've anime. only seen a few episodes of that. I had the entire series in my hands for a little bit, and I neglected to watch it. It's 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 like this. I as far as like category, it's like the Star Wars of of, yeah. of anime. I, well, I just I just had trouble getting into it. Well, and, and honestly, the first like now that I'm a you know a diehard fan. Like I rewatched the first episode, I went. Actually, yeah. this isn't that bad. But when you first watch it, you kind of go, "There's not really anything to this." I was just told it was really great, and I watched the first few episodes, and I was like, eh, "But the problem is, is you don't get the payoffs for the things in the first few episodes. Yeah, till the next, as with the, most yeah. things, right? Well, um, honestly, for me, the reason the reason I love Cowboy Bebop is because of the interaction with the Syndicate, Vicious, and Julia, yep. which. Honestly, is only about four episodes of the entire anime. So okay. if you like, if you if you watch those four episodes, you know you don't get the great character growth, but you do get kind of payoffs for a lot of stuff that happens in the anime, and it's definitely worth watching those. I recently went back and just watched the vicious episodes and went, oh okay, you know. I need to rewatch it. I've I haven't seen the whole thing in like 10 years they so. recently re-released the um it on blu-ray and dvd like high def transfers and yeah. everything so because uh i know that like the first episode i think skylar showed me yeah and then like i'd seen a couple episodes hanging out with bobby and then it was a couple years later that i finally got to watch like the whole thing and uh oh man and then the movie came out and it was kick-ass see I, I was actually really disappointed by the movie uh I liked movie? it because it just fit the it, it fit the it was just it an it, it was tone it was, and the concept it, of the and series, it was so. it was, ended up just kind of being an extended episode yeah. which I, I kind of want a little bit more than an extended episode yeah but maybe most cartoons into movies are extended yeah. episodes yeah I know like GI Joe the movie that's an extended episode I don't like I don't like GI Joe I love the GI Joe movies they're amazing oh, they're I loved I love that first movie, dude. The Rise of Cobra stuff, dude. I dislike both GI Joe and Transformers. Yeah, you like the Transformers movies? No, not one bit. I, I like the Transformers. I like movies. I'm glad. I'm proud of you. I like them in the sense of their movies, and I like watching things explode. But I know they're not good. But on some level, I feel it's reaching. Me. Actually, what was so weird about the two? like live action G.I. Joe's. Joe movies is you have the first one where they have like suits and all this tech like the ni- late 90s well they got the power armor and shit yeah which is the late 90s yeah. G.I. Joe, Joe reboot but then the second movie nobody has any of that shit no fuck it no bits all. because they've been disavowed G.I. Joe isn't a thing no no no, no. but nobody not Cobra why would Cobra use those but, why, why would Cobra use those that's useless to him but they dude don't. the guy just wants to pimp walk into the UN meeting and then pimp walk the fuck out that's all he did in that movie <laughs> he pimp walked yeah. and everybody else did his was bidding. it still Joseph Gordon-Levitt 
No, it wasn't. It no. was some dude in a mask, and it was wonderful. Joseph Gordon-Levitt Levitt did not need to be there for that. And Christopher Eccleston didn't reprise his Destro. Yeah, and Destro was good. I, I liked Destro. I, I, I tried to watch the first G.I. Joe movie. It's terrible. Oh, I, yeah, oh, I, I just jumped forward to Joseph Gordon-Levitt and went, wow, that's terrible, and t- turned it off. Well, yeah. see, if I would have watched that movie when I was seven, I'd have probably loved the shit out of it. Yeah. And plus, Probably I would have been like, hey, it's that guy from The Mummy. <laughs> and thanks, Stephen Somers. Ah, I was going ah. to say, so and now I'm not. Yeah. So that's why you like the Hudson second, Hawk. The second one is fun, though. <laughs> what? Hudson so Hawk. that's why you like Hudson Hawk, but I actually Hudson like Hawk. Hudson so Hawk Hudson, now. Hudson yeah. Hawk is amazing. Yeah. Fuck you, it's Justin. Hilarious. You're a bad human being. <laughs> I said I like it. in any way that that might be a negative thing. I, I told you the only way I can make that movie make sense is that if it's Fifth Element directed <laughs> by Terry Gilliam. So, uh, that's fun. So my uh, number one uh, is Fifth Element directed by Terry Gilliam. <laughs> no. <laughs> That would be awesome, though. That would you be have really seen it. interesting. It's Hudson Hawk. <laughs> no, what what would have that been? What what, what that would have been would have been Jodorowsky's Dune. Just <laughs> so true. you know, yeah, yeah, that, that would have been Jodorowsky's Dune. My number one, and this is just because this is one of those movies I saw it. I was just transfixed. I found the soundtrack. It totally lives up to the movie, and it's Dead Man. Uh, by Neil Young. Yeah. Holy shit. Is this sound... I mean, it's one of those soundtracks. It's almost entirely distorted guitar and layers and textures of distorted guitars and organs. And he recorded the entire thing watching the movie, watching scenes. He would improvise all these different elements and layer them and yeah. texture them in the studio. And uh, if you don't know much about Neil Young... You should. So research Neil Young. But he's known for being one of those people that will record and re-record and re-record and re-record and re-record until the song's fucking perfect. So you know that every scene, there was probably like 20 different outtakes that they didn't use, that they then used in the film. And the film is, you know, Jim Jarmusch's, you know, incredible reimagining of William Blake's poetry through the lens of the American Western and told entirely in black and white and using a lot of Native American lore and folklore and mythology. And it's a, it's an incredible movie. It's an incredible experience to watch it. It's very, uh, it's one of those movies that, is quote unquote very European for an American director, but oh my, it just it, it wowed me from the first time I watched it, and every time I watch it, it's still just like I see different things or I make different connections. And the soundtrack I've probably listened to 30, 40 times a year, sometimes, you know, like I've just had it in my car and just listened and listened and listened to it over and over again. And uh, it's just incredible. So, Daryl, what's your number one? I don't know what to say about my number one uh, outside of it's from a video game series, which I have already mentioned before, which is Silent Hill. Oh. Yeah, big surprise, right? Wow. I'm yeah. surprised it wasn't Resident Evil. 
I the soundtrack to those games sucks. I know, but it, it was just it's the thing. I, I, I rem- did like the first I, movie I soundtrack, you- which was Marilyn Manson, which was fun. Like his soundtrack for the first movie was actually pretty bitchin'. I don't even remember it. It, it was very just hardcore distorted guitars that kicked ass. But anyways, yeah, the Silent Hill soundtrack. It, it it's got a song for every mood. Like I I could just score my life to the soundtrack of that, and I'd be cool with that. It's weird. It's dark. It's emotive as hell. There's the happy songs, dark songs all over the place. Love it. I, yeah. Amazing. I mean, I, I it definitely is evocative. Oh, yeah. Whenever you're listening to it, because it's just, yeah. It's like throughout the entire series, it, it's got something for every, every emotion. It, it fits them all in, and there are songs that kind of mix every fucking emotion into them. And it's it's wonderful, right? It's like you know, if this was the last song I ever heard, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> they, they, there's a lot of those in there. Good. And then there's and, and not even just going into like just the soundtracks, like the actual scores for the games, just the very atmospheric, nasty, gnarly shit, and then just the lighthearted, just you're you're okay, kind of vibe going on. It, it's a lot of fun. It's got everything I need. Yay! If you listen to a compilation of all the songs, it it would last you several hours, and it fits. Good. Okay. Well, we did have a few submissions. 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 Submit. Submission. Submit. Jim Teeter said uh, the Sweeney Todd soundtrack. I hate that play. I hate that movie. I hate all of that. I actually like that musical. It's good. Yeah, I, I really just, I, I hate, I, we've talked about this before where I, I really dislike the way that they'll be singing and then you realize, no, they weren't singing because they'll break out into full out song and then drop out and, you know, the very staccato. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, it, I'm just not a fan of that. Yet yeah. again, it's called Sprechstimme. Yeah, it's still not good. It's awful. It's called Sprechstimme. It's awful. It's still not good. It, it's called Sprechstimme. We it's don't not care. Good. You can hate it, but call it Sprechstimme. It's terrible. What it is. No, I'm good. Yeah. And then his other one was Little Shop of Horrors. That's that's pretty fun. Um, we're, we're cool. With yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, I'm good with yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I already actually got Steve stuck Martin's in my head awesome. since then. So um, Ryan Curtin submitted <laughs> Interstellar. Uh, it's a good soundtrack. Indiana Jones. Which, Which one? one? <laughs> I guess the whole series. Okay, we're fine with that, but he's including four, yeah. so as long yeah. as he is aware of that. Yeah, he also <laughs> said Star Wars, so I'm guessing all he six will. of them. Wow. Yeah, all six of them? Yeah. yeah. He'd probably be okay with that. Yeah. Um, then we had Jaws as his runner-up. Yes, Jaws is awesome. Braveheart. Braveheart's fucking amazing. And Titanic. Oh, boo. Uh, boo. I, I, do, I do have to admit, like, to, okay, I, I you do have to admit, the villain. <laughs> Ryan, I, I you used, lost us. I used to listen to the Titanic soundtrack a lot. Oh, you would. Your heart, uh, will, your heart will go on. Uh, yes, it, it will. But actually, it, I think it's the two songs. There's a song right I'm after Canadian. it. I'm Canadian. There's a song right after it, <laughs> which is the song I believe they play whenever it's, um, when everything's flooding. But yeah. I think the band is still playing. Like there, there's one where like most of the ship has flooded, but it's that music. And there's one more which is I think the after, like they're showing the wreckage. Um, 
I think it's yeah. The, I think the song right after "My Heart Will Go On" is my actually "My Heart Will Go On" because I think they just put that on repeat for the whole movie, right? I think that's right. Um, is the song that plays during when the captain is standing and standing there looking at the mantle? Wait, <laughs> you okay there, Nathan? Nathan well, lost his mic. Apparently, uh, my bag is underneath. Okay, um, but yes, yeah, was. whenever the captain is about to die and is standing there stoically this there's this music that's playing in the background that's like okay Come at that's me, right. water yeah pretty much um kathleen s allen said the hunger games i'm guessing just the first one okay les miserables okay still okay. terrible sense and sensibility still terrible and the virgin queen i uh, don't know that don't one. even know that so we're but we're cool we're right with you i All think right. um Cass Wantland said The Exorcist. Yes. Woo. Garden State. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. It's a good indie, pseudo indie film soundtrack. And King Kong from 1938. <laughs> oh. Yes. So, nice. Uh, I'm not familiar with that one, but hey. Uh, I don't even know if there was a real official <laughs> soundtrack for that. Um, Matthew Pearson said Juno. Okay, I can uh, see that. The Watchmen. Uh, well, it's okay. I, the it's part okay. where they played to Hallelujah during the sex scene. I laughed yes. so hard. Yes, that was because I love hilarious. I love no, Leonard Cohen, I, and that was the perfect. Yeah, see, so you're, you're the guy that got me into Leonard Cohen. <laughs> so for me, I Yay. love I love the use of the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what I was going to bring yeah. up during yeah. the trailer. That was perfect. Yeah, um, yeah. despite the fact but that no, that was Leonard originally Cohen, written yes. for Batman and Robin. Yeah, well, which, there's, which, there's two versions right of there it. is well yeah there's the end is the beginning is the end beginning and the beginning is the end is the beginning yeah the one they featured in the credits was the lad or was the, the <laughs> which one was we it? know this it was because this is on my honorable mentions because nice. yeah. you don't know how many it times. would have been on yeah. my honorable mentions <laughs> so you don't um, know how many times i listened to that soundtrack when i was a kid <laughs> so um lion king and then matt's last one was the lion king on broadway failed nice. um and olin cox had the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay, Howard yeah. Shore. Woo! Then the producers, which I absolutely love that freaking movie. Which one? Soundtrack. The one that's a musical. They're both a musical. No, they're not. The original one's not a musical. You, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. They sing a song in the office. You see the different stage songs. There's a song... Towards the end. So there's three songs. No. That does not make a musical like make. seven songs. It's, okay. I'm guessing he's thinking the newer one. Yeah. Which is listed as musical. We'll assume it's the new one. There's more no. songs. I have only seen the new one. Yeah. So. I've seen the original. Mel yeah, the, the original one is pretty shitty. Well, it's not. It's not that shitty. You <laughs> oh, just well, saw a shitty chance well, for fuck, I don't know which one of you to listen okay, to. Okay, well, for me, the, the comedy doesn't work for me between Zero Mustel and... Um, Gene Wilder, yeah, and their the idea. <laughs> Fuck off! It's amazing. Um, their their idea is to make the Nazi or to make Hitler into a LSD hippie. Okay, that sounds applicable. Yeah, which is where the you know totally making fun of yeah. him shit comes in. Yeah, so. Um, and Bioshock Infinite, uh, which is, it yet. it's, it's, the soundtrack is really good. 
game's not that good. But oh, well, don't ruin it for me. I'm not going to go any further than that. Well, you um, said it was terrible, so I didn't actually didn't say it was terrible. You, said it was you not implied very good. that it not was fucking <laughs> horrid. You're right. Um, then his runners You're up honest. are Lion King. And then what is with the fucking Lion King? Why do people love that movie? I don't, I don't know. know. It's a it's it's I, the I first Hans like Zimmer. It's the first Hans Zimmer score that people know. Okay. So I think it's like some weird attachment. Like you don't really register. It's like a sub. It's yeah. like an unconscious thing that you have attached in your brain. No, nah, fuck it. I saw it as a child. I hate the Lion King. Yeah, We're good. I don't like. And Lion his King. last one is We're the Mass Effect. Macbeth, um, yes. Mass Effect games. So yeah, play food. Um, or sorry, Hamlet. Yeah. And our final one is from Catherine Tretner. Oh, um, submission from I know the who wife. That is. Yeah, um, and it was Sense and Sensibility, the '95 version, I believe she specified. Which had Hugh Grant, right? Yeah. So that was hers. So uh, runners up. Uh, I do believe you have to start the runners up, oh, sir. Well, my runners. <laughs> oh shit! Ooh. Fuck off. Now they um. My only runner-up would be uh, Drive, that soundtrack. Yeah. Though I, I do have to say, it. after watching the movie so many times, the uh, Real Human Being song makes me want to gouge my eyes out. I thought you would have picked Hotline Miami. <sighs> no, I honestly haven't listened to it much outside of the game, but the music in that is amazing. Right. It's okay. essentially Drive 2. So now it's a runner-up. Thank you, Justin. So, uh, uh, so my runner's... I have two. I have two two categories: my runners up and my nostalgia categories. So my runners up are Chinatown by Gary by Jerry Goldsmith, sweet Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid by Burke Bacharach. It's an amazing Beesh. soundtrack. My nostalgia categories for my childhood are the Spawn soundtrack with all of the <laughs> terrible, yes. terrible songs that are on there. But when I was a kid, I loved that shit. Uh, Romeo plus Juliet, which has a lot of amazing songs on it, and uh, the Batman and Robin soundtrack. Yes. Great songs, terrible fucking movie. Like, the soundtrack, I'm pretty sure... Like, Batman Forever was like, the movie's okay, the soundtrack's okay. The Batman and Robin, it's like they spent more money on the soundtrack than they spent on the movie as far as like making it good. Like they made sure that there were good, good songs yeah. on the soundtrack and terrible fucking movie. So Daryl, do you have any runners up and or nostalgia picks? I didn't know I was allowed to pick nostalgic. Well, that that was, I I added that category. Oh, okay. Well, nostalgia. I'll just say the main theme from fucking RoboCop is the most amazing thing to have running through your head <laughs> yeah. when you're doing fucking anything. <laughs> Yeah, no, that shit. If you're doing something that that that's good to have running through your head, because you're gonna punch your fist through a wall, yay, and then choke somebody out, and then probably throw them out of a window. Uh, but no, my runners up would be Halloween, John uh-huh. Carpenter, like the main theme. Everybody knows it. Yeah, if you've been to a haunted house, you've heard it. That 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 that. They did not remake it until they remade it, but it still was in there. <laughs> they did not remake it until they well, remade it. Well, fuck Rob Zombie on that one. Yeah, the but, the movie was okay. 
They shouldn't See, have redone. I, I like the Halloween remakes. I, I do. I, the, I've the, only the, seen the first one. The main one. theme of the Halloween series, though. Like, that that's amazing. You know what it is. You hear it, and it's... It's, it's, it's so identifiable. You know exactly where you are. It's Damn. got a very ominous feel to it. It builds and it builds and it builds and it doesn't go anywhere. It's just tension. And it's amazing. And then my other runner-up would be From Hell. You mean the the shitty Johnny Depp movie? That... I love that movie. Shut up, Nathan. And I, I actually really like that movie I as well. And you still have my copy of From Hell, so fuck off. The no. comic... Yeah, you don't remember that. That's cool. I gave no, it to you. Uh, I, I gave it to you. It's fine. It's yours. No, actually, I bought my own copy because when a friend of mine died of cancer or was yeah. dying of cancer, I gave him my copy. Oh. So. I gave you. I'm pretty sure. the No, fr- no we bought a copy at Speeding Bullet and I gave oh, it to you. Oh, yeah. 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 You're welcome. I gave it to a friend who was dying of and cancer. And now he's dead. And uh, his stuff was is in his stuff. I'm glad it lives on. Yeah. But no, specifically the So one what you mean is I owe you a copy. Specifically. <laughs> so yeah, your friend's copy of From Hell. I can't get that, but I can get you a copy of No, from no, Hell. it's cool. <laughs> Cuz I can't. as I said earlier, I gave it to you. After you be like, you took that from me. Well, I I like to be accusatory on occasion. It's fine. Yeah. Like but the no. like the copy of the Necronomicon that we bought together, I think I still get, let you have that one. Yeah, and then <laughs> I tried to give it to you, and you were like, "No, man, my and then I think I gave it away when I hadn't <laughs> talked to you for like three or four years, and I was like, "That's awesome." I guess I'll give this. I guess I'll throw this in the a grab the bag bin. of things from me. Yeah. Sweet, I like that. But no, specifically, the one song in the movie is what I like. When he throws it on the record player, starts playing it. I, I don't know the name of the song or who it's by. But, you know, when Jack the Ripper throws it on. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. This, no, no, you both suck. I haven't seen the movie since I saw it in the theaters and it, I hated it's, it. It's, it's, so. uh, I think it's when he goes out to do the double killing. Okay. Uh, he throws on the record player. He puts the one record on, just that one song. Well, as, as we know from our experience. Shut up. <laughs> I will say that I've not seen that movie in over 10 years, so I might be able to, like, separate it from the graphic novel. Yeah. And view them as two separate things. I will probably never be able to do that with Watchmen because it tried to be too specific to the the graphic novel. Yeah. It tried to be too sacred, and then it just, like, pissed all over it the rest of the time. But yeah, pick, pick your poison. Okay. Just specifically the one song that I don't know the name of. I'm sorry, <laughs> well, dude. <laughs> Fuck off. See, see, <laughs> I get shit for naming a game that has one composer. Daryl gets an I'm sorry for not knowing a specific. Daryl, goddamn it! Why don't you know that fucking song? Okay. For the is one song for the reason that he chose that thing as his runner up. It was his runner up, not his main pick. <laughs> Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> Just so you know. Well, hey, at least mine difference. has mine is for the full fucking thing. So, um our next Nerd of 12 will be picked by me. Yay. Yeah, Nathan's really so, excited about this. So, Daryl, that based on the f- number of times you've been on the podcast, you better be prepared 
with a nerd subject the next time. Sweet. Well, I, I but I'm not here to uh, you know pick a subject. So yay. Um. So our topic for our next podcast will be movies that are darker than expected. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got my list. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, Justin. No. Do you want to plug something? Oh, I- I'm good for the moment, but Nathan, where can we find you? Oh, where can we find me? Yeah. We're going to start with me Weird. this time? We don't need to hear what? Justin talk about all of his accounts on every social media. <laughs> you don't need to know? Site ever? Justin D. Heard. Justin D. Heard. Justin D. Heard. Justin Heard. I actually need to... Uh, yeah. I, I wish I knew my old GeoCities account names. Wow. Really, Daryl? <laughs> <laughs> from Hell song. Uh, so, uh, you can find me at, uh, at Nate Wad Neutron on Twitter and at Nate Wad on Tumblr. You can also find me on the Dubious Consumer's Facebook page or the Dubious Consumer uh, Twitter page. Just tag it... Uh, uh, with Nate or Nathan, doesn't matter. I'll know which one. Daryl, you can find me on the internet. <laughs> I have a name, and if you can figure out how to spell my name, you might find me V-A. on IMDb. <laughs> I, I am listed on there. Apparently, oh, you good. can find me on the Gmail at my name. Minus half my name. <laughs> you can find me on the Facebook, which is entirely my name. You can find me on the Instagram, which is not my name. You can find me on my band's website, which does not exist. You can also find me on my band's website at Reverb Nation, in which case you cannot contact me directly. Xenothropic. Xenothropic. X-E-N-O-T-H-R-O-P-I-C. They have a show this coming Sunday. Uh, well, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, next April Sunday. 12th. The show starts at 8 p.m. We'll play around 9, 9.30. Not that any of you will be there. If you are, throw shit at me because then I will know that you exist <laughs> as a human being, and I will throw shit back at you. You can find the Dubious Consumers at dubiousconsumers.net and dubiousconsumers.com. We are also at Dubious Consumer on Twitter and Dubious Consumers on Facebook. You can find me, Justin D. Hurd, at... <laughs> Here it comes. Here it comes. The litany. The litany of the herd. JustinDHerd.com, JustinDHerd.net, JustinHerd.com. At Justin D. Hurd. Real Justin D. Hurd on Facebook. Justin D. Hurd on Pinterest. I'm trying to remember what else the fuck I'm on. You have an um, Instagram account. Oh, right? yeah. I now have an Instagram account because those motherfuckers won't let you follow an Instagram account without making an Instagram account. So uh, I believe it's now Justin D. Heard on Instagram. It is. <laughs> so I don't even like, know. What why is Justin <laughs> on my Instagram feed? <laughs> so um, you can also submit to the Dubious Consumers at sub at dubiousconsumer.com. Please do submit topics interests, information, anything you want us to know about, uh, we will try to, uh, if it's in response to the Nerdishois, we will try to incorporate it into our reader submissions. And uh, that is it for the Dubious Consumers. Uh, Nathan, do you have a final thought for us? I think my final thought is, 
God, I need more beer. I like beer because it is good. I drink beer because I should. If there was a song to sing, I sing it and beer you drink. I drink beer when I am sad because the beer